and I think when it's something that was sacred to you, now you're like, people go there to have meetings. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad they have a conference room that they yeah. can access. Good right. for them. My, my two longest tenures as a nightclub DJ are now a marathon supply store for distance runners. So exactly the same clientele that was in there till four in the morning drinking and, and doing all the drugs. And then the other one has also turned into a workspace. Something, something cocaine. And I always, it's yeah. Joke there. <clears throat> and I always want to, I always want to poke in to the workspace and just be like, do you guys have any idea what we used to do here? Right. Like, yeah. You're just comfortable walking on these floors and sitting on these chairs. You should not be. Yeah. yeah. If, <laughs> if you believe in any sort of energy that can last in a place, I just don't know that this do is you where you should like be. feel like a lot of your business dealings go south exactly. there's a reason for it this space right here it's just in it it's it's haunted but it's haunted by the the failed hopes and dreams of other people that were yeah, <laughs> getting shot down to the dance floor ghost doing the doggy yeah exactly the stanky leg yeah. that's you know again i know people talk about this a lot but i just was watching some um there's some really great youtube short film horror movies mm -hmm. that you know they put them out every year we're coming up on on well, we're basically at Halloween and it's still every ghost is like a Victorian age ghost. And I want somebody, I don't care if it's a horror or a comedy or both. I want someone to do a haunting with like an eighties guy. And then like, for sure, somebody now like Brittany with an eye that she signed with a heart that like passed away at 21 in 2008, sure. just doing all the bad club dances. Well, and that's her haunting. There is though that network show ghosts, which I don't oh, know if it's still on, but yeah. it did that where it had, okay. it did have the Victorian age, but then You're it had right. like the boy scout. I don't know how well it did. I did not watch it. So that maybe that's on me. Yeah. Well, the fact that 100% of the people in the room are unsure <laughs> if it's still on, yeah. you know. I don't He's know. You not. might be writing the wrong plot line. There yeah. might be a reason. Victorian ghosts might sell best. I, well, because they're scary. Because that I didn't want to, I don't want to talk to anyone that was actually alive in that era. Yeah. Them There's a lot humans. to be afraid of, as it turns out, yeah. that took place during that yeah. time. Also, I think it would test poorly because we're the main viewing audience and it would make us feel really old. Oh, that's fair. Mm. <laughs> An 80s person as a ghost? That's I'm here up. for it, man. I already feel old. <laughs> I get up and I feel old. I, I for, for our listeners out there, I'm sure you can hear the, uh, there's a little bit more gravel in my voice. Uh, that is from a concert that I went to in Atlanta on Friday, and it is now three days later, and uh, I barely feel like a human being again. I can kind of talk, and my neck sort of works, and my back sort of works, and that's where we're at. But Charles, I do. But you love, went to a concert in Atlanta. So I did. Yeah, so that's pretty. That's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> oh, so rad! And now you're about to drink liquor on your podcast. Come yeah, on. <laughs> got to watch. Got to watch a band that, uh, aside from a you know a sporadic surprise on stage, um, had not done a full reuniting concert in over 20 years. And aside from the fact that they were all sporting some gray hair, they fucking rocked. So marvelous three. Thank you for an incredible weekend. I got to hear songs that I've loved for two decades live for the very first time, which was really fucking cool. The venue was absolutely amazing. Uh, the crowd was electric. It was 1,500 people that felt the same way that I did. So it took me almost three songs to really even hear the singer's voice because mm. everybody was singing every lyric. And like everybody was so positive, which was really rad. But I love that love um, we went to Charles, we went to Denmark together this summer with a bunch of other people. And then as we talked about on our last episode, we went to New York together 
And then you went to Atlanta and I went to Atlanta. And we missed each other. Because they were overseeing each other, yeah. I assume. And we, you guys we were done. missed each other by four days. Yeah. I love the fact that we still went to the same city. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, any highlights from your Atlanta excursion? Yeah, Ticonderoga Club. Did you go? Uh, we did not. Okay, that's the only reason I had to bring that up. Yeah. I'll the, make you feel bad on air and then we'll see. No, the, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the five o'clock opening was, it made it really tough. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. Friday, we were already booked for the entire night and Saturday, my plane flew out at 5.30. So Thursday was literally the only night that we could do that. Sure, and that was also good. the only night that we could meet up with some folks. And surprisingly, Atlanta is a beautiful city. I love it. I love the green. I love the nature that's around you at all times. But oh my God, is that traffic horrific. And when rush we, hour for UA traffic is insane. Not even rush hour, man. Eight o'clock. We had an Uber ride that was 5.1 miles and it was 47 minutes I must for have us to really get there. I really luck because yeah. I haven't dealt with that bad of traffic. Well, there was... We mostly I guess, stay in the city, though. It's mostly the airport traffic. Yeah. Other than that, we're in the city. We are a little farther north. But yeah, uh, props to everything in Atlanta. We got some really, really great food. I had. Uh, I finally got some... I know it's not the original, but I finally got some Hattie B's hot fried chicken. Mm. And whoo, baby. <laughs> uh, I, 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 went, I didn't go all the way hot. I went for the, the second step to hot. And uh, that, was, that was one of the hottest meals. I would put that in the top five spiciest... Full meals I've ever eaten. Yeah, that was, uh, my, my insides were a little mad at me for a little while there, but okay. yeah, what are you going to do? It's, it's fun, though. It's hot chicken, baby. Comes with the territory. It was worth mm-hmm. it at the time. Absolutely it was. Know. And then there's, like, the, there's, there's a Hattie B's on the west side. There's a Hattie B's on the east side. We went to the one on the east side. And across the street, there was this beautiful old building. And one of my friends was like, I wonder what that building is. And I had finished eating because at, at some point it was so spicy. I was just trying to eat as fast as I could. <laughs> and uh, It's not spicy until you stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's when it gets really hot. So I ran across and um, it, it just says bar is downstairs. So we were like, well, screw it. Let's go have a cocktail afterwards. We all had hot chicken. We go down there. It turns out um, this place was built in 1897. And the bar is in the basement, much like the room that we're recording in right now with the original um, stone walls. So uh, you can literally feel these 100-plus-year-old walls. They have pictures. You know, you say that you don't want to be around Victorian ghosts, but you do a lot of weird shit in the basement. <laughs> That's the thing, so, though. I don't want to be around the people. I just want to be around the architecture. Okay. You know, like, okay. these were people that were putting, they were putting, though, right? they mm-hmm. were putting lead in their hats, and they were putting uh, uranium in their makeup. Like this was not an era of humanity that I want to be around. <laughs> Although one might argue, one might look at how we're living today. <laughs> it's fair. And microplastics. Wonder, exactly. Did they do it better or worse? We just made it so that someone can profit from it. Fair. <laughs> we made stuff that glows in the dark. They actually glowed in the dark. Yes. Yeah, wow. But yeah. We've just been trying to replicate them. We're just chasing those Victorian ghosts. That's all we're trying to do these days. That, that is true. Maybe I, the uranium made them ghosts. Maybe that's, is that what <laughs> happened? <laughs> I, there you go. That, that's why they have that, that greenish hint to them. It's just the echoes of, the, of their irradiated <laughs> souls. <laughs> uh, Case closed. Yeah, done. Also, obviously, um, societally, I'm very happy to be in the South in 2023 versus 1897. Yes. I mean, there was a little bit of, there was 20 years of things not being that awful, but then it went back to being all of the awful after being all the awful forever. So I feel like, yeah, not a good, not a good time to just want to be around people. Atlanta is a city I feel good about being in. I'll I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely right now. 
Yeah, it's um, I, I love it there. We talked about it before we went, and I it just did nothing but sort of reaffirm that. Um, but that said, we get to come back. Yeah, I got back Saturday night. You've been back for almost a week, and now we get to come down here and record one more episode with an amazing human who you've already heard her voice, but I would love if she would introduce herself to all of our listeners. Well, to accompany this lovely voice. Is, oh. <laughs> so um, my name is Kate Nelson. In town here, I'm the editor-in-chief of a magazine called Artful Living. And in addition to that, so I'm Alaska Native, um, grew up in Minnesota, pretty far away from my birthplace of Ketchikan, Alaska. But I, you know, grew up in northern Minnesota, really far away from everything except for, like, wheat fields. (laughs) And so magazines were how I connected to the world. This is pre-internet, even pre-dial-up internet. Amazing. And so, you know, it went from like 17 and YM magazine to Vanity Fair. I mean, I pretended to read Vanity Fair like we all do even now. Um, but magazines really were how I knew about anything. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Facebook to try to keep up with people. Right. So That's a crazy point. I knew that I wanted, from that point forward, I knew that I wanted to work in magazines. I had no idea what that entailed. Eventually, I learned that that meant that I should probably move to New York. So that was like my dream. Um, And then I will tell you, the first time I went to New York, I was sorely disappointed because I was like, this is what everyone sees when they come to America. I guess I guess it does represent us. Come to think of it. Um, So wanted to work in magazines you know, especially lifestyle, so very happy to have landed at Art for Living. Then 2020 rolls around. And again, very happy to be telling stories, to be entertaining people, inspiring people. We're here in Minneapolis, and we all have a front row seat to this racial reckoning. It Mm -hmm. it just vibrated out from our city. Mm -hmm. You could not be here and not, you know be affected by the aftermath of George Floyd's killing. Absolutely. And so I really had this turning point where I thought, is that all I'm going to do? Am I just going to entertain people? Because there's something to be said, especially during the pandemic, we actually needed a lot of entertainment. And we needed enlightened, you know, things that just made us feel good. Um, But... I just felt like I had a, a higher calling. And so I started um, just doing a dabbling a little bit in some national freelancing, national freelance writing. Um, my first story that was for a national magazine was for Esquire. It was about Sean Sherman's, yeah. Chef Sean Sherman's restaurant. At that time, it was, you know, one of the first full-service Native American restaurants, what that was going to do for not only this city, but this country, and, you know, the sort of the audacity to be opening that amid a global pandemic. And then how he pivoted, and he started just feeding people, feeding hungry people, and it didn't matter, Mm -hmm. you know, what they, they, no one was was paying for it. Eventually, they got grants to pay for it, but, you know, he was just handing out food to hungry Mm -hmm. people. Right. So, that really helped spark in me. I, I realized that... I had sort of this ability and this gift to take 
what are often deemed Native American issues, which are just human issues. Absolutely. And we should all give a shit about them, mm -hmm. and we should all have yes. a role in helping address them and really translating those for mainstream audiences, mm -hmm. which mainstream basically means non-Native. You know, there's this amazing Native American press in, you know, uh, North America is known as Turtle Island among a lot of indigenous communities, you know, if you remove the colonial borders. So across Turtle Island, there are phenomenal indigenous journalists, and a lot of them speak to indigenous communities. And they're able to speak at such a high, like it's almost like a PhD level, because they're speaking to an audience who understands, you know, they, they don't have to get the primer on it. You don't have to go through the, like all of the, yeah, all the base coats of just teaching people what you're even talking about. Exactly. And so I realized that with my background in lifestyle media and really understanding how that realm works and then also, you know, having access to and wanting to amplify the voices of a lot of these indigenous change makers, that I could sort of act as the liaison and this conduit between these two realms. And that I've realized is really my life's work. Amazing. And so, you know, over the past three years then, it's really, and, and it's happening amid this time that there's this, you know, Native American renaissance taking place, right? We have the show Reservation Dogs by Sterling Harjo. We have representation in D.C. There, it could be better, but at least there's some. Yes. And so there are all these stories to be told, and I found that um, I sort of have a, a knack for doing that. So those are my, my two realms. It's, it's kind of wild. Like, have you, in, in your focus on that, um, it's been beautiful seeing and who's picked up those articles and who's pushing it out. Like, it's not, it, I mean, everyone's seeing it, which is amazing. But as we've been traveling, it's also been interesting because I think we're kind of seeing this worldwide is mm -hmm. a lot of people are finally starting to acknowledge the fact that pretty much most modern societies are on stolen land mm -hmm. and people were trampled under in order for this to happen. Genocides happened in order for these societies to be built. And it seems like I don't I don't I, don't, I guess I didn't notice sort of like a kickoff point but it just kind of seems like that's actually just starting to happen in a lot of places yeah and um have, i guess my question would be like have you noticed that as well like do you see that happening like cross-culturally or i i think so and you know and not that there's a comparison between underrepresented groups mm. that said i do think that native americans have you know, now we're, pe people are calling it a renaissance, a reckoning, all these different things, um, but that that is very new and fresh. And you're seeing it across politics, pop culture, fashion, food. And it's really incredible because, again, I think people are, I think non-natives are curious. And for a long time, you know, there was part, part of what I want to do with my work is to make it so that this, because a lot of times we're talking about traumas, yeah. traumas that have taken place over centuries. And it might have to do with, you know, like Sean Sherman would not have opened a restaurant that has decolonized cuisine if colonialism hadn't happened. Right. So I think that a lot of people have hit this obstacle, this roadblock, because they feel guilty. You know, a lot of people, it, their ancestors maybe 
you know, through the Homestead Act or something like that, did get land that was not, you know, quote, free land. Sure. And so I think a lot of people, it's hard for them to overcome that because mm-hmm. they feel, you know, it, it's like it's like climate change a little bit. It's so big. It's bigger than me. I can't stop it. This happened before me. But we can't just ignore these things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's just a, a different comfort level. And one thing that, you know, again, turning to like Sterling Harjo's Reservation Dogs, that show covers a lot of these hard-hitting issues, but it does it with humor. And so it's not all, this isn't like a, this isn't supposed to be a guilt trip. This isn't supposed to be a lesson. It's supposed to be an opportunity to learn about, you know, a different culture, a different way of living. But what I love about that show, as somebody who is still like learning, what I love about that show is that when it hits, it hits hard though. You know, like there have been, there have been moments in every single season where it was just hot tears coming down and I almost didn't even see it coming because you're, you're laughing. Like these are our four kids and their families trying to just figure life out. And then as you watch what life actually is play out, sometimes in between those jokes, you have just these amazing, like really, really hard hitting emotional moments that like some movies would strive for as the pinnacle of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a moment in the show and that's happening in every single episode yeah absolutely and that gets back to you know my comment that these are not native issues these Mm -hmm. are human issues because how many people it's a coming of age story so Mm -hmm. everyone can relate to that those of us who grew up with like tgif sitcoms those were coming of age that it's a little bit different but those were those were coming (laughs) of age stories and and then it is that it's sort of these these little you know You've, you are familiar with them. It feels safe. It feels comfortable. And then, yes, you're going to learn some hard truths that, you know, a lot of Native communities have had to face for, again, decades. And it, good on you for having the wherewithal to start to learn about things that affected others beyond yourself. The Wild Connection, um, Charles, I don't know how much of that show that you've seen, the Wild Connection that that kind of broke my brain and broke my heart at the same time. Um, I think probably the episode that hit me the hardest was in the newest season, the, the dear lady episode. Mm-hmm. And it goes through the boarding school. Yeah. Traumas. And thinking back to no last, spoilers. last, yeah, no spoilers, but last November when I was in Ireland, um, I was talking to a group of people and we were just kind of just chatting about life and things got to the history of Ireland and all the troubles and all of that. And her grandmother had an almost identical experience mm-hmm. in a religious school. And just knowing that the, the tools of power are so similar across borders and across boundaries, but then... And across timelines, And across right? timelines, Some of yeah, this yeah. is still happening in, yeah. in South America. Sure. And we never really learned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, I mean, there are a multitude of atrocities that are happening, again, not for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, historical atrocities where we may not even have any documentation of the mm-hmm. first times that they occurred, but that time is a flat circle. Right? Yeah, man. Yeah. So but really an uplifting topic <laughs> for us to kick things off with. Hey. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, it, like I, I guess the, the reason I wanted, before we got into anything else on the show I wanted to talk about is I just think it's so amazing. You've always, like, as long as I've, I've known you, like, I, I think the first time we met was somewhere, somewhere around an, an arts festival like mm-hmm. 13 or 14 years ago. 
And I remember and we look, don't look a day older. No, not aged at all. Although it is frustrating <laughs> how little you seem to have aged, and I look like a different human. But uh, I remember watching the first the first two uh, entries that you put in, and I just thought like, holy fuck, she has so much more to say than I do right now. Cause I was still trying to figure out what my voice was. Like, I didn't know even, I just knew I wanted to like kind of try and make people laugh. And that was really, that's where I was at that time. And watching how you have continued to hone your voice has been an absolute amazing thing to see. And now it's really cool just seeing the, the audiences that are opening up to that. Like people who know how big their circulation is are saying we need this voice and we need to put that out there. And you're not even batting an eye. You're rolling into it and writing these incredible pieces. So I, it's, it's just a really amazing thing to be able to watch and to be able to learn from. So Thanks, thank you for kind of getting to, to be somebody I've always looked, to, looked up to on this journey. And hopefully, like, you know, I've honed my voice and I know, Charles, you've done the same. Like, it's been, it's been fun seeing some of the things that we've been able to talk about and get into on the show and I hope we also get to continue to do that. Yeah, we don't, we don't shy away from that stuff. We don't necessarily like, there's no bullet point that says get serious. But right. if we do, we invite On it. the fifth question, we will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we like to make people cry at the end. Yeah. When they, when really, the really build up to it, right? We've laughed, yeah. we've cried. Yeah. Someone well, had to leave the room. And I got to give you credit because Charles, you always, you're the one who actually like, we, we both write questions and then you pick the order of it. And I think that's one of your greatest talents on the show has been, if you listen to the flow of it, I don't know on a lot of episodes, I don't know if we switch the questions around, if it, if it works as well. And I just, I just trust the Swami. Like every now and then you're like, what do you think? And I'm like, dude, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I'm going to be like, mm, I don't, I don't yeah. know if I can trust you on this. It's deceptively important. Yes, it absolutely to, to is. That right. It's like a track sequencing on an album. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Or like sure. a meal. Yes. Right? Yes. So yep. coursed wrong, which I've had self-coursed in the wrong order. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> this was awful. And it could <laughs> have been amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. I've, I've actually fucked up and I overserved to start it. And we ended up just boxing the protein up and sending it home with folks. Cause yeah. we never even got to the main course. So the, worst. the worst, the worst, the worst. We'll hit this later as well, but I just wanted to closer to the front end remark that uh, Kate's done a lot of important work mm -hmm. and you can find um, a lot of the credits of what she's done on her personal website. It's kateanelson.com, K-A-T-E-A-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. And you probably hit that at the end as well. I just wanted to mm -hmm. and sneak you know, in there. Please, as more pieces come out too, like send them our way so that we can also just reshare them through our network. Um, one of my favorite things is talking to, to listeners who have followed along with guests that they had never heard of before, because I, I think we're fortunate that we get to make these relationships and, and hopefully going forward, like we become even in closer, um, our listeners get to do the same thing. And while they might not be around people in person, they, they do get to follow along with, with what people are doing because we have all these amazing humans on the show that are doing fucking rad stuff. And I, I love that. So any, any time that we can kind of share anything too. And I love how podcasts can do that. So I will admit, I was a late adopter to podcasts. I'm a, a, it's just embarrassing how late I am to adopt things. But I do it, you know, that I'm very stubborn about it. I also am not a great auditory learner. Mm. So it's like in one ear, out the other. And so I've, I had to like figure out how I could best listen to podcasts. Yeah. And... It has been, it's like it broke something 
open, you know, like some of the podcasts that I've listened to, Brene Brown, some of these, and I was yes. like, Brene Brown, I was also a late adopter on her, and I was like, well, damn it, Brene, <laughs> you have just, so I, I do love that you get to spend, because how often do you get to spend, whether it's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours with someone that, you know, is having this conversation and you feel like you're a part of it, and I love that podcasts can do that in a way that other mediums just haven't seem like they've been able to break in quite that way. They've almost moved in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. where it's two people just shouting over each other for everything now, and I have no interest in that, unless we're talking about skinless or skin-on wieners. <laughs> the way you rolled into that was really weird. I was trying to think of, like, what's, what's, the, what's the most polarizing food debate we've had, and I feel like that's probably the one it took me a second. That, that I overstep your boundaries on more than I do. It took me a second to figure out where you were going with that. Yeah. You were like, skinless. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you uh, worry about well, nothing. Why don't we talk about this delicious beverage we're drinking from yeah. our sponsors at Beam Suntory. So shout out to our good friends at Beam Suntory. They always come with the high heat for us. Uh, Roku Gin is absolutely stupefying for the price point that it is at. Uh, I don't know if there are many things on the market that I can say I enjoy as much as that with also that, that dollar for dollar value. Um, I've made this into delicious, basically like riffs on, on mojitos. I've made this just with soda. I love that. It's a really bright gin. It's Super sort of, clean. yeah, yeah. Like you still get citrus notes. You still get some juniper. You still get some coriander in there, but it's, it's a really, really bright and fun one. Um, if I'm not drinking it on, on the rocks or neat, I, I would usually go with a little bit of probably citrus or something floral. Um, but I have yet to find something that I don't like it in. It's great in G and T's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of my one of my favorites for that application. And Especially one of my favorite gins. If you've wrestled you down for the tonic syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there was one day uh, we did a private dinner here at the club, and we'd all had quite a lot of sake to drink, and my wife Marnie realized there was a bottle of the tonic syrup that I make for her in the fridge here. She just lost her shit because she had to make everybody <laughs> G&Ts. She's like racing around the room showing everyone the tonic syrup that I make. And it was Roku that we had uh, a bottle of, also from Beam Centauri at yeah. the time, I believe. Yep. And uh, she made, yeah, she made G&Ts for everybody for the rest of the night. She was really thrilled about that. And this works perfectly in that application. We got, uh, we got some tricks up our sleeve. Uh, I can't quite divulge all of the content yet. Uh, but uh, we are going to be slash I am going to be tightening my professional relationship with the group over at Beam Centauri here over the next week or two. Yep. So really, really excited for what we got coming. Um, we're going to have access to some really, really cool stuff. And hopefully some of the people that make it are going to be uh, going to be coming through as well. So uh, just again, always a huge shout out to them and all of the products that they provide and the humans behind it. That's my favorite part about that whole group. Everyone that I know that's worked with them is just class act. So, should we cheers that? Cheers. And then, uh, yeah, roll into this. I believe, cheers. Charles, you go first. Oh, yeah. Okay, Kate, I want to know two things. Okay. What food do you eat to celebrate a great day? And what food do you want to eat alone when you're having an awful day? Mm, well, what food do I eat to celebrate a great day? So, that suggests that I have a well-stocked kitchen. <laughs> you could also go out. If there's like a celebratory place you like to go, you could talk about mm -hmm. something that you want to get. I, I feel like you can take it however you want to go. Or do you want, like, what do you want to eat? Yeah, there you go. So what's interesting is that, and my relationship with food has really 
evolved over time. And I think a lot of people, specifically women who came of age in the 90s, have probably, probably still to this day, have complicated relationships with food. And one thing I realized, good day, bad day, what I want food to do for me is to have it feel really nourishing. Mm. So if I'm celebrating something, I want to go out and get like a rare plus filet with seared foie gras on it and king crab leg and some bernays and maybe some, give me just all the everything, right? And it's like so rich that you're probably going to have to sleep upright (laughs) to avoid all the acid reflux. Take your rings off before you start eating because everything's going to swell. so worth it. Make sure you're wearing (laughs) elastic waistband. Um, And then... On the flip side of that, though, like a day that I'm not feeling, you know, like I, I want like a pick me up. Right. Um, probably like, and this is a high low, but I'm a big fan. I don't have it very often, so I don't want it to make it sound like mm-hmm. I do. But I'm a big fan of like caviar with potato chips. Yes. Fuck yeah. Dude, one Something of my favorite. that's like the perfect bite. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that is equally nourishing in a way that you're like, well, I fucking tried today, the day one, we're going to try again. But you know what? This is this, this meal right here, this still makes me feel like a winner. Yes, for sure. Oh, I'm so with you on that. It's a little, it's a little grimy. It's the potato chips, Uh but then it's also uplifting because of the caviar. Do you do creme fraiche and chives as well? Or you just go straight? You do. Okay. Yes. Oh, Same. no, you for sure need something. I'm all about the sla- the sauces. So you need something that like shellacs it all together. Yeah, and a good creme fraiche. Yes. And then a little bit of a fine diced chive. You use ruffle chips. Obviously. Yeah. That's Although, the you gotta do. I will say that, so there's a difference between ruffle and ripple. Oh, yes, 100%. So I tend to use ripple. I'm with you old Dutch, baby. And, What's the difference? And not I don't know ruffle. This. What's the you difference? know, so Charles, pretty soon this, this podcast is only going to have two of us on it. <laughs> Because, and, and it's so, no, but I'll explain. So I would say that a, a ripple, it's a tighter wave that doesn't go up and down quite as. Okay. Um, and, a, and a ruffle is a more elongated wave over a larger space. And so they, they vehicle, they handle things mm-hmm. differently. They, they shovel things into your mouth at a different rate. I also have no fucking idea. If we're talking about the specific brand ruffles too, I also yeah. feel like those trademark on that ruffles and yeah, ruffles they, and Pringles sure taste more like, um, like they, they return to a mashed potato state faster. Mm-hmm. Whereas an old Dutch ripple chip, which I believe is RIP hyphen L I have a it chip. Is. Uh, rip L chip. Rip L chip. That's how they mm. could ta- trademark theirs. Yep. They had okay. to make a trademark. It, it has a it has a better crunch and it stays it's really potato piece. Yeah, it's it's crispier really crispy. to me. So I like that. And then I salute with an umlaut it up more. Instead of the creme fraiche and chives, I do a little dab of horseradish cream mm. because the spice on there actually really makes me happy. And because it's not capsaicin based, it fades faster. But it gives you, you got, you got salty vinegary, you got straight up salt, and then you got a little bit of cream on there with a little bit of bite. And if you don't have creme fraiche, yeah. sour cream will do the yeah. job. Top As the well, tater. like a top the tater. Yes. Mm, we are really revealing our Midwestern <laughs> yeah. roots top, here. Top the tater does not exist in most areas okay. around the world. Let me say this too, because this made me feel old at a Halloween party on Saturday. 
there was a caramelized onion dip on the table that I could not stop eating. Like, I couldn't stop myself. Yeah. I was like, I'm leaning in. I'm just going to yeah. eat. The-. And then I had to search around for the top, and there's some Trader Joe's, and I took a photo of it yep. on my phone and sent it to some friends. There you <laughs> go. Like, that's how old I am. I go to parties and say hi to my mom. I, 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 was, this caramelized I was at a Halloween dip. party <laughs> on Saturday, and there's this buffalo chicken dip that we were all like, Oh, well, this we are going to need the recipe for. And I will tell you, I would probably never make it because I would just eat it every single day. Um, But similarly, it wasn't just like, I enjoy this, period. It was, I enjoy this, and now I really want to know, how did you make it? Did you change the recipe at all? Where did you find it? And it's like, I'm not actually going to look this up and make it. (laughs) But I appreciate knowing more about it. Yes. We all we all need those things. I uh, I have I was not a, I am anti Midwestern because I'm not a big dairy sauce person. So like ranch was never a thing for me. Top the tater, not Same. a thing. I do like top the tater because I just like, I think because I really liked potato chips, so I liked something to go with it. But ranch, this is probably sacrilege. I love any type of sauce, save for ranch. I'm with you. On I that. just don't even understand what is this flavor. I don't ranch. Yeah. Ranch is a thing. Mm-hmm. Ranch actually can even be a verb. Yes, it can. But a taste, a flavor, it is not. What and are when you? I've asked people to describe it, they can't. Nope. I, I get that people really like it, but to me, it just makes no goddamn sense. I'm, I'm with a, you on a it. Buddy and I, real quick, I want to interject. Oh, yeah. Nate, Nate multi time guest of the show, and myself call vomiting ranching. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I just ranch it up. We call it ranching. I top the tater. My, my way into it is the fact that my wife is always happy if I bring some home. Mm. So when I. And it's so easy. It's like yes. five bucks for, you know. For chives and MSG in sour cream. But you know what? It makes a great stroganoff as a sour, oh, yeah. sour cream substitute. It's amazing. I don't it's full think fat. I, I don't think I'd ever eaten it until about five years ago. That's probably also the reason I don't know the difference between Ripple and Ruffle chips. Yeah. It's anyway. okay. We'll let you stay in yeah. the room for now. But for you now. guys got to check out that caramelized onion dip. All right. From yeah. Well, send Jones. us the picture. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I got to know which one to get. <laughs> yeah, they and speaking of Trader Joe's, talk about, so um, I go and see this incredible body worker who does... Um, she does acupuncture, she does chiropractic, she does fascia, she does all these things. Mm. And there's a Trader Joe's right next to it. So if anyone, and hopefully you both are very familiar with like the post, it's not a massage, but like the post-massage sort of stupor. Yes, yes. I always then think, well, I probably need to stop in at Trader Joe's. And I just wander these aisles, you know, like half lucid (laughs) and it's so everything's so bright the words are so big everything's so colorful but everything there legit you could close your eyes turn around grab something it is going to be amazing it's gonna be great and everyone there is friendly yes which is also like a little bit disconcerting i'm with you on the post massage glow i always feel like i'm um Mr. Burns when he's getting his treatment and I'm just like floating in a hospital gown. Mm-hmm. Like, I bring you peace. That's just how I feel for the first hour afterwards. And then it's either I have to eat something or I have to go to sleep. Yes. <laughs> Chug better, a gallon better of water. Do the Ralphie soundbite after all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> I love that I nailed it. I thought I was going to miss that yeah. one. We haven't done that one in a while. I know. Um, but yeah, it, I, I agree with you. Uh, I try and stay. And it's aw- affordable. I try and stay away from Trader Joe's because of those dark chocolate sea salt caramels because yeah, if I go why there would one stay away because from I will eat them all in one sitting like I cannot well, take on so a quart that's the thing about the rip l <laughs> chips whatever size 
bag we have in our house, I will eat in basically one and a half sittings. And so, yes, I I'm going to eat these chips that. until my tongue can't feel feelings Correct. anymore. Like I want, I want my cat to be jealous of the coarseness of my tongue <laughs> when, I, when I'm done eating. Uh, okay, so uh, what was it? Celebratory food and bad day food? Like great day food, bad day food. Okay. Food. <clears throat> Celebratory food, I agree with you. I want to, Kate, I want to go, I want to go steaks. I want to go seafood. I want, like, honestly, that's probably the time I've eaten crab the most mm -hmm. is celebrating because it's expensive and I like to work up to it. But I will be honest that if, even if I can't get a whole meal in because I got too much going on, I, I do. This is the only dessert that I sneak away and get by myself, but I will fuck up a good piece of cheesecake. And that is my- Okay, that wait. Is, I have a question. You, Nary, five minutes ago mm -hmm. said that you're sort of dairy averse. Yep. I don't love desserts either. I, and I'm not particularly fond of dairy. Tell me about this cheesecake. Um, a good piece of cheesecake is- funky and tart enough that it leans more into the actual like cheese side of things, which I'm good with cheese. I just don't love like creamy dairy sauces, Kay. but a really good piece of cheesecake. You preferably dilute foods that have more flavor. So I think, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. It's always like, like, like ranch and mayonnaise and sour cream. Yeah. It's always meant to tamp down spice and bold flavor. Like right. you just don't want like, to make it more palatable no. for a wider for, audience. Yeah. Or sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't, I'm here for the spice, I'm here for the flavor. I just don't, unless you tell me it is a part of what you really want to do, I don't want it. But cheesecake. Hang on. Okay. What are your thoughts on queso? Oh, here for it, all Thank day long. God. Take okay. all my money. Okay. If it's cheese-based, like we can get there. Okay. I love blue cheese by itself. Which, to be clear, queso, the kind that I have out of like the industrial-sized jar, yes. is, has never seen no. cheese. But it is. But, but, it, but they yeah. cheese-like product. Sarcastically cheese fonted. Yes. Yeah. Like scare quotes around <laughs> it. <laughs> it's scare quotes and italics. That's how you know it's cheese. Maybe I've the just Victorian had, ghost of dairy. Maybe I've just had bad cheesecake then because I find it so oh. underwhelming. Fair. When okay. when you're giving it this really nuanced, I I want to. But I'm I'm picky and choosy, so so we can we can go down that road. I don't I don't just go anywhere and and get a piece. Like I not go to, to the factory of it. Right. Like uh, so, Juniors in Brooklyn was the one that got me. Right. That was the one that was like, oh my god, what mm -hmm. what is this? Mm -hmm. It was uh, fruit sauce. I think it was cherry and strawberries together over this piece of cheesecake, and I had heard that it was awesome. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to try it. And reasonably dense cheesecake. Yes. Because the foam that says that it's cheesecake is the most maddening thing on planet. I could not agree with like you more. Sort of like gelatinous-y. Yeah. It's just like glorified whipped cream. Yep. It's like slightly over whipped whipped cream. Yeah. It tastes like cheese kind of. Yeah. I want to be concerned about my own health just from this one wedge of cheesecake. Mm -hmm. that, that's that's my hope in that. Yeah, it's almost um, cloying by the end. Yes. It's like eating pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> when you get to the end, you're like, like what right, am I even doing I with my life? Yeah. Life. Like, yeah. I'm now not celebrating uh, anymore. Now I'm a little worried about myself. Like, why Why does everything I do to celebrate? You went from the celebratory meal to the bad day <laughs> meal. Just, just, yeah. just as, as, you, as you eat the piece. First half, last half. <laughs> but yeah, that's, and, and now, now I'm to the point where I make a really good one and I will make my own fruit sauce from scratch. And that's, if I know ahead of time I'm going to be celebrating something, I will go that far. Otherwise, like Cafe Latte on Grand Avenue in St. Paul makes an incredible piece of cheesecake. Um, I don't know if they still do it, but Muddy, um, um, Petitioner 46 makes a great one. And then Muddy Paws, um, 
I, I, they got rid of their brick and mortar, but I think they're still around and they sell Petit to Leon like. in Minneapolis. Petit Leon makes Basque. a smoking one. Yep, Basque cheesecake. Yep. And, and again, Basque cheesecake is a little bit different, but incredible. So what? that's my, that's like my like super secret. Like I'm going to have this one for me. Like we're going to have, you. you know, get like a, get like a, just a really good pour of espresso and that to kind of cut thing through is, the richness. I actually could go out with you for the celebratory meal because I wouldn't touch it. You yeah. could just enjoy it so to there yourself. We go. So we but, can, we can go cheers yeah. and you can Are you have sure you this. You can have the whole thing. <laughs> and he's like, why'd you let me eat the whole thing? Yeah. At uh, the end of it. For, I was trying to think of like. Because let's be honest, like usually if I'm having a really bummer of a day, I'm just going to stop somewhere and have a couple beers and like figure it out or a mixed drink or a cocktail of some type. But if it had to be a food item, I would say that the when my wife goes out of town for work, usually the first night I'll go way over the top and cook something ridiculous, usually involving ingredients that she doesn't like. And that's like my, okay. Like, just by myself, record playing. I'm going to eat dinner at, like, 10, 10.30 at Those night. Those are called secret single behaviors. Exactly, yep. So, my wife can't eat shrimp. Which I don't think that they're even secret, because I'm sure <laughs> no. that she comes home and you're like, and she's like, I can tell. Yeah, she, well, I don't hide it. Like, she hates meatballs, but it's, it's and sort she of hates fun. shrimp. I think there's also something that it, it feels that it's extra um, special. It's sort of clandestine, yes. because you're doing it just for yourself. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then knowing that I'm going to have leftovers. Day two is when I realize, like, oh, fuck, man, this sucks. Like, I hate being in this house by myself. My dog's looking at me like, look, you're fine, but, like, where's the one I love? My cat's loving it because he's my dude, and he gets to be in the bed a little bit more. And usually that second day is when I make a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese spirals, Mm. and I add in a piece of American cheese, and then I add in a scoop of MSG-laden cheddar cheese powder, and I eat the fuck out of it, and I love it. Specifically spirals, though, because Specifically the different spirals. shapes hold. It is a different taste. Hold totally different. Like sometimes, and it depends what mood you're on in, right? So I think there was the the character ones. Yep. Maybe there were like SpongeBob. I don't know if that one still yep. exists. But the characters hold the Chaz sauce mm-hmm. so much differently. Um, question, do you chop up a Nathan's hot dog and throw her in there? Not for my sad, I wish she was here meals. I have been known to do that. I also am very, very prone to eat. It makes it a complete, you put it makes it a complete That's meal. what I was going to say. I am very, very prone to doing tuna. a can of chicken of the sea mm. or bumblebee tuna. tuna. It has to be out of the can, squeezed water out of it. I don't really know if this is fish or not. Like that has to be the jam. That is sometimes, but okay. not all the time. I was wondering if this is somehow a different dish because I remember you... Hmm? mentioning this in the past. Okay. Really, what the, the thing that matters, if I'm just like, Ugh, and I'm just going to put on some dumb movie, and I'm just going to like, I'm going to eat in bed for sure. I'm not using a dish. We're going pot off the stove. That's coming <laughs> with me, and I'm going spoon out of the pot. That's what I do. It's very rarely involving a protein. This is literally like, we're, we're basically not. We're consuming something to fill a we're, stomach. We're no longer thinking about the nutritional. No value no. of this whatever nutrition i needed to imbibe it had to have been earlier that day because you got a trivet in your lap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a folded towel <laughs> which works as a trivet yep. Yep. and by folded towel he means just the duvet that he may or may not yeah. wash yeah. no i will do because our our, du- our duvet is white so i 100 um, okay. will do the towel over it but yeah that's that's for sure that's it and it, I, it still makes me happy like it's 
a little bit judged more than the normal box thing. I think that's so key. So I'm, uh, I'm constant. I'm trying to do better with this. However, in the past, I would return to things that were really comforting. So it might be those TV shows that I've seen over and over. Mm -hmm. A lot of people did this during the pandemic. I did Mm -hmm. as well. You know, I, I, I didn't necessarily get pleasure out of it the first time I watched it, but I rewatched a lot of Friends episodes. Sure, sure. Because it was just so, you know, you're up, down, and it's solved in 30 minutes. Um, and I think there is something to be said about these foods that brought us comfort as mm, kids. I'm with you. Still bring yes. us comfort as adults. And again, whether it's something like, because if you think about you're having a bad day, yeah. you go to some of those really, as kids, you know, you're just really upset. Mm-hmm. And you just need something, like I said, that's nourishing. Mm-hmm. And maybe your your understanding of your spectrum of emotions isn't as broad. So you're like, I feel crummy. I need the cheese to make me feel better, yes. you know? And those things, I think, stick with us. That's You know what? It's actually funny that you point that out. I hadn't really put those two things together. But uh, the last time that I was alone for like four or five days, I did the macaroni and cheese thing. Didn't have tuna. Didn't want to go back to the store. And so what, what we did have was in the drop freezer, we had uh, half a bag or a third of a bag of like Tyson chicken nuggets from when my nephew was in town. And I hit those with like a solid tablespoon of the hot slap your mama Cajun seasoning, baked that, mm-hmm. chopped that up, threw that in. Nice. Oh my God. Okay. And you know what I was eating? I was eating chicken nuggets and Kraft mm-hmm. mac and cheese. But it actually felt like a meal. It was hot enough. I had like a couple little drops of sweat mm-hmm. coming down. Mm-hmm. Like it was, yeah. it was tasty. No, I love the, I, I love that you're analogous to Friends because we just had Juan yeah. and I just had a conversation about this, and I said everybody hates Friends now because it was never ha ha funny, but it is like comforting. It's totally There's comforting. Something about it. It's like white cheddar popcorn. It's like snack food. You right. Know? It's just, it's. And, and I often like during the pandemic and, and even now on occasion, if it's super late at night and I don't feel like going to bed, but it's, you know, dumb, dumb time, which is what I call it when I want to go no brain zone. Uh, I'll put, I believe it's Nick at night just does like oh, yeah. friends all fucking night. I'll just throw it on and it's just on while I'm doing other things. And it's just somehow comforting to me. Well, and good is not equivalent to comforting. Some, sure. some things can be both good and comforting. Some things are just good. They're not comforting. Some things are just comforting. They're not good, like the cheese with the mm-hmm. chicken nuggets. Sure. But, you know, I think we have now this standard of like, oh, well, is that prestige television? No, but it makes me feel good mm-hmm. during my dum-dum hour. Right. You know, like, yep. you also need those things as well. Well, like and Netflix dating shows. I'm not going to tell. Like, I, I, I've always said you can like things that aren't good, but you can't tell me that it's good. Yep. You know, like. You can like things that are bad, but don't try to convince me of its artistic qualities because Netflix dating shows have no artistic merit. But I love them because I have it's a hot dumb, take. dumb time. I have a hot take on this. Okay. So I think that there was a time at which we required entertainment to be good. Yeah. That it reached a certain level. You know, this, this better later win an Oscar or a Golden Globe or something. Uh-huh. Sure. And now, because we are so intertwined in each other's lives, that we care so much about being part of, like, cultural zeitgeist, that it's not even hate watching. It's not that I'm watching this because I dislike it. I'm watching it because I want to understand why in the fuck everyone is talking about totally it. Totally agree with you. And, okay. and so it's a totally different phenomenon than it, than it used to be, right? Like, people used to tune in. Can you imagine this? 
people used to like every Wednesday night we would watch 90210 mm-hmm. and we would wait for it to come up and it would the show itself would only be like 42 minutes because of all the commercials. Right. We are so beyond, you know, I think like the final episode of Seinfeld had a crazy amount of viewers <laughs> and now we're like well, I want to know why she likes Love Island, so totally. I'm going to watch Love yeah, Island. Absolutely. And, and it's an interesting phenomenon. I, I'm trying not to judge it, but we're all doing it. I, I totally agree with you. I, I will just also say, like, Friends was that for me in the first few years when I was still in high school. I, I was, I absolutely, I watched it because three women that I really loved all loved it. And we had a group of three guys that we all hung out together. And none, this motherfucker is describing friends. None of us yeah, ever. No, was no, he no. In friends <laughs> and we didn't know no, no, no. it. None of us ever dated, though. That was Mom, the difference. We'll be there for you. <laughs> Thank you. I still fuck with that song. Uh, but I remember when I went to college, I like it just it wasn't a thing anymore because I didn't have anybody around me that was talking about it. So I never, I never kept watching it. So I still never saw like the end of, yeah. of that run of it. Also, we should just say like, RIP Matthew Perry, mm-hmm. uh, as, as somebody who's gone through a lot of stuff with an alcoholic father, his book really, as much as I didn't care that much about the show, his book was really incredible. And I'm glad that he existed. Now the flip side of that coin was a show that had even less uh, should we say cultural cachet to it that I really loved that also has an RIP from the same day was I fucking loved night court mm. and I watched night court during the pandemic. Like you were talking about yeah. uh, Richard Mall passed away the same day Matthew Perry did, but everybody was just doing Matthew Perry things. Yeah. Richard Mall is one of my favorite human beings ever because he made it okay to be a tall goofball. Yeah. And I adore him for that. That is his Wait, Quam, why would you be into that? <laughs> exactly. What a, what a yeah. weird thing. Uh, also was the voice of Harvey Dent and Two-Face on Batman the Animated Series, one of the first adult-ish cartoons I ever saw. But um, that was the show, and I cannot possibly try and explain that that's good for anyone that is that is that is comforting and not good but it was it made me feel good and when we didn't know what the fuck was going on and at the time I was volunteering every day at indigenous food labs and then hearing stories from the people at the encampments that we were bringing food to like I couldn't deal with learning anything else that was hard I needed a reset for my brain really quick. And just the theme song from Night Court was enough to like make me be like, okay. And everything John Larroquette says is super problematic. And Harry Anderson is not funny at all on that show. But it was it provided me a little bit of comfort at a time. And I don't feel bad about watching it. And I think Friends is sort of like the craft mac and cheese. So Again, it's not good. <laughs> there are a lot of very problematic things. Yeah. And, and if it's not problematic, sometimes you're like, this right. is just plain old bad. Or like the scenes that you thought were so good actually weren't quite that good. <laughs> but it's, it's still comforting in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Charles, we need to get to your yeah. good day, bad day meals. A because solid we could go on and on about the cultural zeitgeist. Mm. But I want to make sure that, that we're learning. I have a feeling I'm worried a little bit that you are going to be just really bougie compared to <laughs> that's to a, what we just a fine said. motherfucking dino. That is that is for sure where my mind goes to immediately when I think about celebrating or having had a great day, and it's something that actually that I mean in reality that's where I go oftentimes. 
But it occurs to me that the answer is one in the same. It's a really greasy fucking cheeseburger. Mm. Because when a I'm having a great from a certain day, place, or do you make it yourself? Doesn't mostly, matter. well, mostly in the instance of having had a great day or having had a bad day, I want someone else to make it for me in both yeah. instances. Um, there are a lot of places around town that make great cheeseburgers. We're actually blessed in that way in the Twin Cities. We have a lot of great burgers. Uh, but when I have had a great day, I want to reward myself with something that I sometimes feel bad about eating. If it's just like a Tuesday, I'm just mm -hmm. getting myself a burger for, you know, a late lunch. I'm like, should I really be eating a burger right now? And if I've had a bad day, obviously I don't care. I'm like, I want a burger to make me feel better about myself. But honestly, it's a celebration food and it's a in your feelings kind of food. Yeah. And I think that I resort to that as often as I do, uh, you know, a five rib cap and, you know, the aforementioned foie gras or, or anything like that for celebrating. Cause sometimes you're celebrating by yourself and I'm not about to go that bougie by myself. If Marnie's with me, then yeah, we're going to probably go out <laughs> to eat somewhere. Note to self, if you ever, I guess note to you guys, if you ever see a lone woman just devouring a whole bunch of foie gras, it's likely this girl. Cause I will go, no, I haven't done this, but I for sure <laughs> would go out and be like, I did. I had a big day. I'm gonna have a big meal. Yes, it's your your the blue cheese the cheese lady in in France. Oh, that was <laughs> one of my heroes. I didn't even. I've only heard your description of her, and I still think about that when I'm like enjoying a nice bite. I'm like, put everything else out of my mind. Yeah, we were sitting on this patio. It, it, you you could call it late at night, but everyone in Paris is literally having dinner at this time. I'm not gonna get super deep into it, but it's about 9:45 p.m. And I was just admiring the fact that everybody on this patio had their phones put away, whether or not they were with other people. And they were all like laughing and deep in conversation. And just over Marnie's shoulder across from me was this, um, this lady who I would say was mid-60s, dining by herself. And she was just getting after it and having like, you could tell she was just really in the moment and super enjoying herself. She got a cheese plate after dinner, which they are wont to do in, in France. And she didn't use the crackers or anything. She just took, I believe it was a fork, actually. She oh, took I a love that. big scoop, like a massive scoop of this funky blue cheese. She put it in her mouth, scraped it slowly on the way mm. out, reared her head back, closed her eyes, bonked the fork on her plate, like, kink, and just went mm, through her nose. And I was just like... That is heroic. Yes. She's she's that's my hero. Heroic. That's the way to live. I, yes. Yeah, that's like uh, my wife and I's mom's age range. And I wish that, like, for both of them, that they could be that relaxed sometimes. Because, you know, yeah. sometimes they're, like, a little too caught up in the, the rigors of everyday life. And I would love for them both to just take a big old forkful of blue cheese, scrape it, pop the fork off the plate, and kind of just lean your head back and close your eyes. Because that's, I was like, oh, man, I love this. I love this person. And she was there for like three hours, just slowly enjoying her meal. Love it, was, it. It was fantastic. Mm. I just, again, I wasn't even there, and I still think about her <laughs> just because you told yeah. me that story. Like that's, yeah. she's a part of my world now because yep. I, I need to make sure that I retain that, live in that spirit, yeah, live in that, live in that for moment, sure. man. Absolutely. Well, cheers to that. Cheers. All right. Question number two. We're all writers in this room, and I am fortunate enough to uh, have. I've read a ton of stuff from Charles over the years and read thousands of words from you as well. And this was a discussion that I had over the weekend. And unfortunately I was having it with people that don't enjoy writing or reading. So 
I wanted to bring it here because I think I didn't get what I wanted to out of the discussion. Okay. This is something that I've been fighting with inside of myself. So I don't even, it, I, I, I still don't have a definite answer. But as, as, language, as technology progresses, language is going to continue to evolve. Evolve, and we've brought in a lot of other cultural references. Um, you know, especially in the United States, we already have a melange of languages being spoken, and different things are pulled out of everything. But I, there, the the sort of memification, textification, emojiification of language is happening, right? Like my mom texts me weird abbreviations now, and she was a journalism major in college. Mm. It's mortifying. She used to correct my my birthday cards. When I was a kid, she would show me like what I did wrong with red pen. And now I get like BRB, LMFAO, like, you know, are you, are you okay with that? Are you as, as two writers that I admire, are you okay with what we learned as this is the rules, not being the rules anymore? Do you wish that people would continue to focus on, on both? Like, where do you, where do you sit in that? Because I'm, I'm having a tough time, and I can't exactly explain why. For me, that has n- not, it, it has, okay, n- let me think. About See, <laughs> all, right. all right, Charles, do you want to jump in it, while she thinks for a second? It's, it's not that it has nothing to do with writing, but in my opinion, that has to do with society. Sure. That has to do with, so why do we need abbreviations? Abbreviations mean that the full thing, typing be right back, would take too long. And we have now created this expectation that we are just churning and burning nonstop. So it's a lot easier to type BRB mm-hmm. than to type be right back. So that I think is more the troubling part of it that, and, and why are those the communications, right? Yeah. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone else, <laughs> but you know, that I'm sending those types of texts or we're sending each other like thumbs up emojis instead of having an actual Mm. conversation to me is less offensive because I'm a writer and more because I'm concerned about what that means of where we are and where we're going. Um, There are though kids that I'm, do they know how to, do they know like what a noun and a verb and what all these things are? And so I can in, you know, like I'll, I'll write a 3,000 word story and I know that that every word is hitting exactly how I want and I'm also guilty of then typing the abbreviated texts. Um, so I've come I've come to terms with it. I didn't used to do it. Mm. I, I used to, how I would write was how I would send texts. Every full sentence, everything was a full sentence. Mm-hmm. Every full sentence had a period. And I don't really know when that stopped. And I guess also, I sort of wondered if it seemed like I was being a pretentious bit. <laughs> I, I definitely, because someone I wrestle else with says, that. Hey, and I'm like, Good morning. How are thee? You know, it's how like, art thou? <laughs> so, if that's the language you use, and I would argue that it's its own, it's its own language, it's its own culture, right? And if that's the the language that you, the vernacular, the dialect that you use in that setting, shouldn't you adapt to that? 
you're not wrong. I'm making this up yeah. as I go. I also oh, don't. I don't know. There's, there's not a wrong answer yeah. to this no, because. Yeah, yeah, but but it is complex because there was a point yeah. at which I realized I was like, <gasps> after the first, it was like I broke the seal. The first full sentence went out. It didn't have a period, and I was like, yeah. brb ttfn. I no longer used full <laughs> words at all. Um, Who am I? So, but it's an interesting, interesting quandary. Yeah. What, Charles, thoughts? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. So. That, that's all really interesting. And like, I think that we could look at the way that we just text and we kind of just fire off casual conversation <clears throat> as being the ripple or the ruffle chip, whereas the writing is the caviar, yeah. right? There was a time in my life, uh, pr- probably in excess of 10 years ago and beyond, that I wouldn't have been caught dead typing LOL. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I decided to myself, like, who fucking cares? If you feel like typing LOL, type LOL. That's for the abbreviated text. There's also, Merriam-Webster has 690 new words in the 2024 publication. Correct. And some of them are just super wild. Some of them are abbreviations. There are words like adorkable in there, which really, okay, well, that's common now. But <laughs> an interesting thing that I always think about when I think about these new words, because that's exactly what they are, is new words, is a thing that my wife, who is a language teacher and a former writer, often says all language is made up yeah all language is made up yep. so if you say a word and somebody understands what you're saying well now that's language too so i've softened on how i feel about those types of things like do you remember when evoo which was made famous by rachel Ray, still never used it got put in a dictionary and we were like seriously but now i'd be like i'm not gonna say it but i understand that a lot of people do say right. it and someone who may be Perhaps uh, an ESL individual might hear someone constantly remarking EVOO and want to understand what that means, and they might refer to a dictionary. Mm -hmm. And there you go, now they understand. So there's a part of me that, because I was the same way as UK, that I, full sentences, period, like really anal about everything I typed being very proper. But at some point, I think I just learned to be more relaxed about it. Right. It's just that that isn't, super critical i do still use punctuation properly 99 percent of the time but now it's it's okay to just kind of you know i'll send back lmao to somebody if they send me something funny i wouldn't have done that 10 years ago and i guess it makes you you know i i found myself that so let's say you were on a group text Mm -hmm. you were creating separation from the people that you're texting with um and i think it's this idea of when we're in different settings some of us have to, to a very great extent, but we all code switch oh, a little absolutely. bit, right? Yeah. You go in a yeah, certain yeah. setting and maybe you're going to drop like the G's mm-hmm. off of gerunds and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that it's, it's sort of comparable to that. And it's only, I've arrived at this because at one po- some point, again, I sort of got, I was worn down <laughs> into, into doing this, but I think it was because I realized that I was the only one doing it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so what I was going to like die on that hill by myself when everyone else was LOLing and I was clearly not. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I think the thing that I'm the, the most afraid of is that somehow we're going to lose the back end where we're not focusing on both. Like you can, lo- yeah. you right. can learn formal writing and also like right. speak You're worried text. about idiocracy. Right, yeah, a little bit. And you're, you're right, Charles, that like it is a weird bar because if you go straight out of Strunk and White, it's going to be 
hard if you're if English is your second language to try and figure out all of our weird ass like with no continuity to the rules uh, the hurdles that we make people jump through to mm-hmm. learn how to write correctly here. Mm-hmm. So I don't I'm not trying to push for like weirder boundaries for folks that that are learning this language as they're living here. Yeah, like in Lebanon, people don't make words up. Right. I don't hear my friends and family there just say new words that did not exist before. But that's where it, that's where it gets me is I get because I just that's love the whole yeah. idea of everything. I love when like there's a new way of saying something. Now, I don't not as much for the abbreviations, but like when we're when we're spinning a new word around. Like as an example, I cannot I cannot come up with a single reason that this is okay. This should be absolutely awful for me but um a voice that i very much love a woman named yassi salik uh went to paris for the first time and she recorded uh an an episode about her trip and she kept she was worried about not saying bonjour right so she just started saying bonge (laughs) and then just went with it and now that's become a thing and like other people are tweeting that and I'm fascinated by that. And I also love the fact that like when I roll up again with a, a group that I know who know <laughs> my sense of humor, when I'm like, bonge motherfuckers, like that's hilarious to me. And I'm like, why is that okay? But like, I still don't usually write LOL. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever done that. Sure. I have a group of friends that call each other bonge from Bongeo Davies. And I don't know when that started. That's started awesome. In, started in high school, but Brandon like will call me and I'll say, what's up, bonge? <laughs> Bonge, bonge. This was happening, you know, long before the advent of smartphones and us texting. So it's just that it wasn't as well documented. And it spreads faster. Because it was spoken. Right. You know, like I remember the first time that we came home as kids and we said that something sucked. And our parents Mm. were like, no, you absolutely won't say that. And we said, but we can. And they asked what it meant. And we explained that it was something that was really bad. And they said... Oh, if that's what it means, you can certainly say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so some of these words that if you look at, again, kids mm-hmm. in the 90s, like calling each other buttheads oh, yeah. and saying mm-hmm. that things suck. I remember My I mom used to be mad when I said the word dude. Yeah. And that this was like a, a period of time so that when, so those things came about, it's just mm-hmm. that now it spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Right. No, and fair. it's the idea that yeah. are we relying on it instead of having meaningful communication i just panic when i see like like formerly long form sites switching to like listicles and shit and then putting in like to me is like super troublesome but in my head those are linked that's my problem they are it's the idea of like we're so you know if you take an article that's in print it might be headlined and written one way you put that onto the internet webs and all of a sudden like you need a really catchy you know it's like revealing the real killer behind this and then it's like 10 10 pots and pans to buy alongside that and you're like these don't make sense together right um, 10 pots and pans to buy or every food you make will be trash it's exactly, always some shit like if exactly. you don't do this everything it, is gonna fall apart <laughs> are you worried you'll slowly become a victorian ghost <laughs> Thou must buy these pots and pans. <laughs> but, but that to me is troublesome because that speaks to, like, in general, our um, attention spans, yeah. our media literacy. I did a guest lecture at the University of Minnesota J School where I went to school. And then afterwards, I hobnobbed around because some of my professors were still, were still there. And they said the biggest problem they face right now 
with, again, these are students, these are journalism students, our future newscasters, reporters. The biggest issue is media literacy. Among people who are supposed to be Mm -hmm. making the news, writing the news, so, so yeah, I see the, just the general shift. And it makes you wonder again, so in 10 years, will kiddos be able to write a paper or yeah. will it all just be abbreviations? This, this was all spurred. This whole thing came to a head because I, uh, I had spent the last couple of weeks uh, deciding where the next step of my career was. And uh, I wrote, I, I, I was offered a thing and then they just, you know, we apply and then I wrote a cover letter. And the HR rep called me directly just to say thank you because she had never read a cover letter that was written that well. Mm. It was not written that well. It was 10 minutes of my time tops. It was just off the dome. But then she was telling me other things that she had seen and heard, not specifically, not trying to get anybody in trouble, but she was just telling me like other things that, that people had written in and, I'm like, okay, well, now it's not like you're not hanging out with your buddies. Like you're trying to get a job in a career. Right. Not Again, not like a, this is my high school job. Like this is actually a career job. Yeah, and I think if, it, if that's your only language, yeah. that's mortifying, problematic. <laughs> yeah. If that's a language that you can right. switch in and out mm-hmm. of, I think there is probably a time and a place for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if someone gets a cover letter that's just abbreviations and probably the new cool terms that the youths are using that we don't know what the meanings of, sure. they're probably not going to get hired. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of people don't even know what a cover letter is anymore. Right. That's a thing. Like I think newer newer people. Although I would argue that cover letters are unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary, sure. and I was you mad. Know, I like, even I'm interested. In case you're wondering why I applied uh, for this job, it's because I'm interested in getting this job. In case sure. you're wondering why, why I'm qualified, just turn the page. My and, resume. And also you. because this is online, you literally asked me that question first. Yes. So yeah. I'm just going to do that again. That may have been what was so impressive is that you wrote a cover letter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you I go. Had you had to also do like. They just needed to see characters yes. in that one yes. field. And they yes. were yeah. like, this is the man. Done. Right Look at him here. go. Yeah. Uh, Charles, just as a side note, uh, Charles and I have absolutely uh, changed the pronunciation of the word baby. And mm. my chosen spelling of that is B-A-Y-B-E-E-E. Mm. And I was telling somebody about where I thought the most beautiful place to go on Lake Superior was. And I was at a stoplight and I shouldn't have been texting, but I was. And so I was like, I mean, it's not like you have to drive all the way into Canada and go up to Thunder Bay. You can just cruise around the North Shore and see Gooseberry Falls and da da da. Send. Boom. I the only text I get back is, what is Thunder Baby? Oh, <laughs> and because like, your phone is so trained into It's your, so trained into my that I typed B A and it just put it and I was just like, Yep, keep going. I just was rolling through it. Also because that feels very normal to text. So it's not like I'm, I'm not better than any of this. There are lots of ridiculous misspellings and weird words that I use. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know. It's, it's something that I'm... Yeah, whatever, that's about. okay. You're allowed to feel those feels. Sometimes these days I'll type an entire sentence and I feel like none of the words are real words. Like <laughs> if I say chimkin sandwich. Yes. And then I, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? But chimkin is delicious. Yeah. Sandwich. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's cheers to that. Cheers. And then, Charles, I think you're up again. What? Yep. This is Who, your me? sublime focused question. Who, me? Ooh, okay. 
Okay, what's something you know you do the wrong way, but you're totally okay with it? <laughs> oh, to pick. There are so <laughs> many of them. <laughs> okay. So I am so stubborn in these things that even if it's like one millisecond ago, I made this decision, but now that this decision is made, I will stand by it. <laughs> if someone tries to, you know, persuade me to do it maybe an easier way, the correct way, I'm like, no. <laughs> Never. Um, so actually, I'm going to bounce the question to Ben Ooh. so that I can come up with the, uh, the best example the because there, okay. there are so many of yeah. them. <laughs> so I also have myriad of these things because I, I do have weird habits that I realize like this. What, like, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing this? The thing that gets me the most, and I don't, Charles, I don't know if this is exactly what you were going for, because I can definitely find worse things. Choose your own adventure. The thing that blows me away, because it's where I do it to myself every time, where I'm like, how do I not figure this out? <laughs> I have the same setup in my pockets at all times. My keys are in my left pocket. Yep. I have chapstick and my AirPods in my right pocket, and my wallet is in my back right pocket. If I have any receipts from the day, they either go in my wallet or they go in my back left pocket. The only it's reason very that matters. Organized. It's, I'm impressed. It's very, there's very few things in my life that I'm that methodical about. This is one of them. The problem is that I refuse to take two trips to the car to bring things in from the car. <laughs> yeah. I will absolutely mortgage my spine, my knees, my ankles, my own safety to make sure that everything comes in in one trip. Don't know why. Nobody's ever yelled at me about taking two trips. This is not something like trauma from my past. That's the thing, though. People do that where they're like, I'm going to carry these yep. grocery bags on my pinky. My yeah. fingers will be sure purple with white stripes from where the, the, the bags were. Like, I'll do all that. But the, the thing that gets me the most is if, there's an, if there has to be an imbalance, like if one arm has to take more, it's always my left arm. And yet my keys go in my left pocket. Oh, so, you do, yeah, so, you so then I have to wrestle around to like lock the door. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I walk up and my wife is a chronic door locker. Even if I just run to the grocery store and come back, she will lock the deadbolt before I get back. Hashtag so, being a woman in America. Exactly. I, that is 100 because she thinks about things that I've never had to think about. And that imbalance is absolutely heartbreaking. So I've never once like, like, come on, like, I know why you're doing it. But then, literally, then I also then have to figure out how to wrestle yes, my keys out of my left pocket yeah. and get it into the deadbolt and the, the door lock. You have to slink every bag to your wrist. Yep. And then just wriggle your hand around even though you can't quite reach. I am 44 years old, and I vividly remember the very first time I did this because yeah. it was the first time I got to take the car to the grocery store when I was freshly 16. And I thought... What a fucking idiot. Why do I put my keys in the same pocket as where I carry everything? That was 16, now 44. Still do it. Literally did it. At least you're consistent. Literally I mean, did it yesterday. That. That's like, like one of those things we don't think about that we do mm -hmm. all the time. So mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every time. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And then I don't I find a better way. <laughs> it drives me absolutely crazy because I'll, I'll, one of those things changes and I don't have this problem anymore. Right. But I also am so used to phone, wallet, keys, like every yeah. time, like boom, 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 I can do that, <laughs> that I, I don't want to change that because then I'll just lose my keys somewhere. And 
for whatever reason, then when I'm grabbing everything, it's yeah. still every time it still all goes on the left side. And I, I'm I, mortified. of. <laughs> I get mad when I get out of my Jeep because my chosen pockets that will never change are inverse to where things are located in the car. So the keys are on the right, which is where I put my phone. What handed are you guys? The phone is on. I'm left handed. That's why. Okay. I'm yeah. right. I'm right handed. Okay. Yeah. But the keys got to go this to the other side and the phone's got to go to that side. And for some reason, I always kind of play that little game where I'm like, but, but, I, but. <laughs> What am I doing? And I get mad for some reason. Yep. Every, like if if any one of my neighbors wanted to like really just have a good laugh, just get video of me every time I'm coming back from the grocery store. <laughs> because grocery I must store. I must look crazy. Like I must look like I'm cursing a Victorian ghost because I stop and I go like motherfucker, god damn it! And there's no one to talk to. I bet you notice a lot of your neighbors doing the same shit. Oh, I, 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 it's not always the key. I don't ever look pocket. out the windows. I, I don't look you know at I mean? anybody <laughs> except for our neighbor, Tim, who just whistles really well all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll just see what he's up to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, I don't, I don't watch anybody else, but I guarantee you, if you had a camera on me, it would look like either like I was having a complete breakdown or I had had the worst day ever, or I was talking to a ghost. Mm -hmm. One of those. Some mac and cheese. Yeah, shit. Mm -hmm. Did, did. <laughs> Well, I okay, hope that didn't so, help you, but no, um, mine, I think it's more the idea of, so I'm taking this in the direction of like where you're, you're stuck in your ways and there's a better way, maybe not the right way, a better sure. way. And you opt okay. not to, because yeah. whenever I travel, this becomes very apparent. Cause like when we travel, we have to be efficient, you know? Mm -hmm. So I take a ridiculous amount of supplements mm. and I have no idea if these things, what they do or do not do. <laughs> However, when people, you know, when, when Ben says nice things, like, you look like you haven't aged, I'm like, yes, We're double doing down it. on the supplements. <laughs> so when I travel, I put them in the nice little case, one yeah. for each day. You know what I do at home? I have all the different bottles, and every morning and every evening, because there is a morning set and evening set, I have to jiggle a pill out <laughs> of the bottle. Half of them end up on the floor, because when you do that right away in the morning. <laughs> you're not thinking. Like, you're not thinking, and then you're like, how many of what did I take? And it's kind of like soft drink ice where they don't come, and then they all come out Correct. at the same exact Yeah. And, and sometimes I do this brilliant thing where if I'm going on a trip and I know that I'm going to get home late, I'll make like the next days, but I only get to enjoy that for one <laughs> day, one single day. And I have so many things like that, that it's just that that's how I developed my routine. Mm. And I know that it's not efficient. I know that it is not even wise, but then sometimes I'll say like, well, I'm doing this. So I'm in control of what supplements I'm taking <laughs> and not the box. This is my power. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Even though you filled it, yeah. <laughs> but so, so I have like countless examples can I, like that. Okay. Kate, can I just tell you, I, I fucked this up and I, I, I hope this makes you feel better. Allegedly, I'm a pretty big fan of psilocybin and uh, I, I have a friend who makes capsules. A story about that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, Maybe save that for another day. Should I not tell this? Oh, are you telling the story? I was going to tell it. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, Here we go. why not, right? Okay. Last chapter. In the <laughs> so, allegedly, allegedly, uh, allegedly um, these capsules look almost <laughs> identical to the milk thistle that I take as an anti-inflammatory. And so, if I want to travel with them, it's just really easy to throw some in there. And that is all predicated on when I get where I'm going, I pour them all out into a bowl because whether I'm in a hotel or a, a Airbnb, like mm -hmm. a glass or whatever, and then you just separate and you're like, good. Uh, and then when I come home, do the same thing mm -hmm. every now and then get a little lazy. I'm like, <laughs> I could tell the difference. 
And again, in the morning, brain's not kicking super great. I always take it in the morning. So uh, allegedly, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I, took, I took the wrong pill. Oh, yeah. And we had a very interesting morning. Red, red pill, blue pill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I didn't realize it. You know, like just did my thing, went about my day, got my shower on, got dressed up real nice. Was driving and I was like, wow, I fucking love how beautiful the sky oh what am i <laughs> the doing the sky is so bright and it's always coupled it i always think that something colorful is the most beautiful color ever and then i yawn and that's when i know like <laughs> things are kicking in and i'm like shit what have i done and i was like well we're gonna go find a coffee shop thank god i have my laptop with and we just yeah. rode it out for a few hours at yeah. a coffee shop enjoying the hell out of a espresso tonic and looking busy on a computer, not doing anything on a computer. Mm. I had my headphones in and I was just trying to find colorful music videos. But uh, I will just say, <laughs> you know what I didn't do this last trip? Change that sub, change that system. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. right. <laughs> so I'm with you on that. That's, and that's, that's my time for the power. I decide what I'm doing. Exactly. Even if I accidentally dose myself, allegedly. Mm. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> Charles. Mine's like a very simple one, but... I think that because it kind of none of in, these are particularly groundbreaking. Yeah, no, yeah. Saying, like this is this is like super <laughs> rudimentary bullshit because I'm so particular about stuff and I'm like really pretty specific about doing things the right way. And also, I was in an Eagle Scout, so I learned how to do all my knots. But guess what? I still tie my shoes like a four year old boy. Ooh, I still do the bunny ears. I never started tying my shoes the way that adults Wait, is there tie their a shoes. Way? Yeah, the little loop-de-loop where you go around and come under. Yeah, I guess. Do a lot of people do bunny ears? I don't. Do you do bunny ears? I don't think. Well, yeah. Is there a different way? Yeah. I don't even know how to do it. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm fascinated because I don't know. I don't know how I'm. I mean, I think so. It still yeah. has the. It still got we're the. Yeah, it live. still has ears. Yeah, it's still got ears. We're gonna do a live demonstration. Okay. I'm actually. You know it, that because be we're on a podcast. This, yeah. this is gonna be <laughs> no funny. No, I know because we're just gonna talk through. Okay. So, so yeah. You know, I go around like that, and yeah. then I make two Swing bunny ears. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't do that. Oh, no, no, I don't no, do that. No. Tie the no. bunny ears. No, I don't I do that. I've never even learned that. So, so for they teach you when you're a toddler. Yeah. So for our listeners, I must have had Velcro at that point. I just never did anything else. So. Charles so does Charles does one lace know. wrapped around the other and yeah. t- tightens it to get right. the, the appropriate and then the two viscosity ears. and then makes two loops and then ties yeah. one around the, one other. the other. But I it ends up looking the same. Looks the same. Because yeah. technically right. these are bunny ears. It's just that we'd... Make well, one loop. I'm not all normal people, but <laughs> some... Make one loop, then do the other loop around right. and pull it through. It's honestly the reason that, that I love tying my shoes the way that I do is because it's the exact same way that you make a bow tie. And mm-hmm. it, it sure. took me until I figured that out after 20 oh. minutes of yelling in the mirror in the bathroom. I finally figured out that that's all it is. is you but make, there are many roads to Rome. Yeah. You Absolutely. can tie your shoes however the fuck you want. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about it. I just think it's funny. And there was a time in my life where, like, when I had roommates for the first time, they'd see me tying my shoes like that. They'd be like, what are you doing? I'm tying my shoes. They're like, you're doing bunny ears? <laughs> yeah. That's how you're I like, tie yes. my shoes. Also, I love that somebody not. else was like, your shoes are fastened to your feet, but I don't like the way that you do that. I right. derive my masculinity from one loop and then a circle right. around it I and do, pull through. Well, because it's still bunny ears, right? right? So I do one bunny ear, then the second, not both at the same time, <laughs> like an imbecile. Thanks for uplifting me. Yeah, I'm, feel, I'm with you yeah. on that. I, I honestly, feel like a positive burger when I leave. The next, <laughs> the next time, the next time I tie my shoes, I'm going to try and do it that way I just know, to yeah. see. I'm Maybe not sure I like that, that I more. Can even do that. I definitely can't. Um, 
One thing, this is not the same, but it sort of is. It blends. We ju- we're just talking about language. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about things that maybe we learned as kids mm-hmm. um, and still hang on to. So there are so many things, and there are memes that go around like this, that, you know, today's kids, if they're wondering something, they can just Google it, get, you know, a million results. Yeah. When we had a question, we went and asked, like, our crazy aunt who mm-hmm. gave us an answer, and that's what we've believed for three decades. Facts. Yes. Yeah. And so there are so many things that, like, as an adult, because you bring it up and you say, oh, well, that's very this. And people are like, what do you think that word means? No. And I'm like, apparently not how I used it. Um, so we so get things like Marilyn Manson having his ribs removed. Yep. You know, just like everybody. Which, yeah. which crazy, that crazy enough, that, like, did he that, did he no, that rumor actually goes all the way back to Oscar Wilde. Oh, really? Uh, that is, there has been at least one cultural phenomenon that that rumor has lived on. Is that just supposed to be about the idea of like subversive? It's yeah. It's whoever is talking the most about sex. Someone in the conservative, probably Christian Mm -hmm. side of things just hits that rumor up. Um, But there are, there are written evidence of that going back to, yeah, it goes back, goes back to um, Oscar Wilde and Marquis de Sade. Uh, That, and it's just been the Mm -hmm. same, same exact story. Same exact thing the entire time. And it, there's there's people in like uh, the 30s that were accused of it. And then when rock and roll came around, that was where everybody glommed on. But we're just, we're, again, it's a flat circle. We just do the same. We make yeah. the same mistake over and over again. So there were probably, you know, Egyptians that tied their shoes the way that you do. So See? you Whoa. can feel very happy about that. Wow. I feel esteemed. Mm-hmm. There it is. Okay. I like that. Well, that's, <laughs> that's cheers? cheers. Cheers. Yeah, let's do it. Is this you? Yeah. So <clears throat> going back to uh, not necessarily celebratory, but like favorite things from when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Is there a favorite meal or dish from when you were a kid? Could be at prepared at home or could be at a restaurant or wherever. Could be at school. Um, what was it? And do you think if you could go back and eat it now, would you like it? So I, unlike yourself, Ben, I... Do like desserts. However, I'm not a big chocolate person Mm. of like any kind. It doesn't matter if it's like real chocolate or fake chocolate. Actually, probably the closest thing that I like is like white chocolate, which you know is not even chocolate. Interesting. Um, So I grew up in a a small farming community and. Can I ask, can I ask where? Yeah, in Northwestern Minnesota. Okay. So 30 miles from Canada, 30 miles from North Dakota. Got that it. helps people understand because sometimes they're like, I love Brainerd. And I have to explain that that's actually in this in the middle of the. Yeah. When, you, when you said, yeah, when you said Northern Minnesota, Ooh, my brothers really? are from Black Duck. And oh. my brother William moved back up to teach on the Our Red Lake Reservation. Our was in so we cool. always. Yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. Black Duck, the um, Anderson fabric store there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And, and it's not like we necessarily went without, but things were just different than they are now. So there was one woman that made these extraordinary birthday cakes. Mm. They, weren't, they weren't vertical. They weren't 3D. It was a sheet cake, but with a really cool design on it. Mm. And by really cool, I mean it could have been a mermaid. Yeah. It could have been a Barbie. Mm-hmm. It could have been, you know, like whatever you wanted, she could, she could make She's it. She's got that. And there was... Nothing particularly, like most people would say that they they 
this is what they wouldn't eat if they went to some conference. It's in a banquet hall because it's a sheet cake with, you know, and, and I like that really the granular sugar frosting <laughs> yes. that you can feel the grit. Give you a little texture. <laughs> like this buttercream, this this foamy stuff, this this fluffy stuff. No one wants that to fluff. I want to know that this was made with sugar. <laughs> so her cakes became sort of locally famous. Sure. And so everyone, you know, if you had any sort of celebration, that's what you had. So I started to really associate, you know, like any type of good time, a sure. birthday, a graduation with that. Again, it wasn't until adulthood that then people were like, ha, oh, sheet cakes. And I'm like, yeah, wait, are we not are we, celebrating? We're not, we're not cool are sheet we, cakes anymore. Are we denigrating them? <laughs> what did sheet cakes so, do to you? <laughs> not only did people I love, love hate them. I loved them then. I, I love it now. So it's like a white cake with white frosting, vanilla, vanilla, and you might be able to, sometimes you think the different colored frostings taste different, they don't. But it's actually really hard to get that granular Mm -hmm. frosting these days because other people apparently don't like that. Um, But that to me still is, that also might be one of my, if I'm not gonna go get like a filet, I would go get a a birthday cake slice, which, Jamie Jamie Olson's um, Central, Central restaurants yeah. have it, and you can just get a single slice no shit. of birthday cake. It's not always on the menu, but yeah. that's what it's called. I think it's called like birthday cake, and it's amazing. Is it dulce de leche frosting? Is it like the Mexican frosting? Oh or is it, no, it's just one it's might like, think so. At least not the one that I had because sure. I was like Mexican restaurants have. I, I prefer yes. their frosting. You were describing the food that I hate more than any food on planet Earth, but. Mexican restaurants do like a <laughs> yes. fluffier frosting. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I can have a couple bites of See, I love they put fruit in it. I love your sheet cake because <laughs> I don't I don't like super sweet things. And so I could get a middle piece. Yes. So the only only frosting so on it was that one little square. No, but you get the cake. Like I just wanted a little oh, bit of frosting. Oh, I was totally a corner gal. Oh, it's every, and then if there was someone, yeah, it sounds like you love the frosting. If so there was someone sure. who took a middle piece that was like, yeah. oh no, this is too much frosting, I'd be like, I will take that off your head. That's the best. And, Give me the head and just scoop it right off. R- the real top. talk. Sometimes I would do that. I just take yeah. my little plastic fork and flick it off, and then one of my friends, because it was always Ooh. what we had for birthday parties, one of my friends yeah. would just come in and so, house that in one so, bite. So Kate, you do like the lady in France? He's Grape off that frosting. Exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. Exactly. It's not blue cheese, it's blue frosting. Although, I would do that with blue cheese, Fuck too. Fuck yeah. Man. Back to back, oh, sweet yeah. and salty. Blue cheese I'll do for sure. All right, Charles, what's yours? There's two different directions I could go with this, and immediately where my mind went to is, like, foods that um, my my mother made at home growing up. One of them, I think, I think I'm going to go with rame. Rame is like Lebanese haggis. So it's a lamb stomach. And I've brought it up on the show before. Mm-hmm. It's a lamb stomach with rice and onions and garlic and minced lamb meat or ground All lamb meat. All of the good things in yeah. life. And then, you know, you cook it in the stomach. You know, you boil the whole thing. And then when it comes out, you basically chop the whole thing. And then you eat it like almost like a fried rice or like a stew of some sort. And I fucking love it, but it was hard to come by when I was a kid because my brothers hated it. Mm. Today, it's among all the dishes that I love most that my mom makes is I almost need her to make it for me for a special occasion because my brothers don't want that thing. Like the other candidate would have been, my mom makes this barley stew with oxtail and little cross sections of bone marrow in it. And she makes that for my birthday every year. 
So usually I have to like pick between the two mm -hmm. or find different occasions to ask her to make those two things for me. The barley, the barley stew, I could make the exact same stew, but it's just something about like around my birthday, my mom makes that. It's getting cold in the, in Minnesota here in the north, and it's a very comforting dish, especially like when it's when it's butt ass cold. That feels really good because it's like super fatty. All the fat is rendering off of yeah. the oxtail. And then, you know, some of the marrow kind of homogenizes into the, the stew and it gets like super thick and like your lips get stuck together. I fucking love that. But the haggis thing, that rame, I get that once every like five years because it's a lot of trouble to get the, the lamb stomach mm -hmm. and to, to do all of that work knowing that also knowing that my mom's going to be like, come on, you got to eat your ninth serving of it. I'm like, why'd you make six of them? Why did you make six of them? You know, my brothers don't eat this, but I love, uh, offal and yeah. you know, like I can like picture the smell and the taste of, uh, stomach and it's a very unique characteristic. You have to like gamey foods to like it, but I fucking love it. There's chickpeas and rice and garlic and, lamb it's it's so good it's striking though that similarly it's like something that was for a celebration mm -hmm. or something that sure. you know whether that was like that it was a gathering or yeah. a special occasion um that you have that really visceral memory of that it goes beyond just the idea of like you know we can talk about like oh the, all the kids came up and they like cut the cake yeah. or you're like sure. I can I can remember how it or I can think about exactly how it felt on my on my lips right and how that I think plays into it too yeah you know that it's like part of it is yes the actual food itself but it's all these others you know it's all the sensory well I'm sure yeah the smell of the house I'm sure too yeah. where like you just you walk in and you knew like that yeah, was what so, was going right. on. Yeah, and like the anticipation mm -hmm. and right. sort of yeah. like, um, the context of it being celebratory in any way, I think that can amplify any food. If there's right. a food you always got on your birthday, then of course that's going to hold a special place in mm -hmm. your heart. It's uh, Kate, you actually changed my answer for this. So. Oh, because he was going to say she cake. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, but you, you made me think of something else. So the the thing I kept coming back to is my, f my favorite meal when I was in high school we had this chow mein, and it's, it's, it, I loved it back then. I don't think I would like it now. I, I think I would think it was hideous, but I'm fascinated <laughs> because my memory of it, I, I don't understand how it was made. Okay, I like this because you're going to be the only one to answer something that you loved that now you probably would not yes. like. Yes, yeah. like, <laughs> like my friends would make fun of me because that was one of like two lunches that we would have where I would go and get seconds because yeah. I was obsessed with it. But Oh, so there was like, like in the school cafeteria. Correct. Like- the, we the, had that in rotation. The viscosity the of the sauce. So everybody that, that that grew up and went to public schools in District 279, you all fucking had this, and we've talked about it. If I if I know you, we've talked about it. I I, I think you're going to find that around the country, a lot of those menus had were to have been the same. Yeah. Had to have been. Had like to have been. Pizza burger. There's no way. Slice of, rectangular slice of pizza. Yep. Right. There's yes. no way that our school um, lunch people were making a... a sauce that was that viscous i still like i don't even know what it was it had a green hue to it that i don't understand it was victoria i'm yes i'm curious <laughs> it was the, the the uranium they sprinkled in <laughs> i i i truly kind of don't know we found out years after i graduated that our hamburgers were 75 percent soy 
And I'm convinced that this was also like a soy and meat mixture in there sure. because it didn't make sense for any of the animals that I have consumed since then. Right. But I was obsessed with it. I think I would, I think I would eat it for nostalgia purposes. But Kate, what you reminded me of when you were talking about sheet cake, for whatever reason, our group of friends and I, and I'm telling you this because I still love it and it's a total fucking secret snack. If somebody is like kids having a graduation party and they get a fucking Dairy Queen ice cream cake, mm. the frozen frosting and the way it blends in with the ice cream, that's fine. That chocolate cookie crunch and whatever that gelatinous fudge is that they mix in with the cookie crunch in a right. Dairy Queen cake, I haven't thought about it in years. And honestly, it like, like sticks to your teeth. And yeah, stuff. man. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, I don't feel good about anything that's going on. Every in there. ice cream cake tries to be that ice cream cake. Too, yes. By the way, like and if small shops make ice cream cake, they're literally just trying to make and that ice cream cake. And I have attempted this multiple times and I cannot even get close. Okay. I can get everything right with the ice cream. Pain in the ass. <laughs> but everything else below that, I, I cannot figure out. It's so much more fun to get it from Dairy Queen and right. have them misspell whatever message. Yes, or or get something mildly oh, offensive written on it and give it to somebody else just because yes. you want to have a piece. But <laughs> literally, like I'll even the clear gel, like they're the not clear, like translucent gel frosting yeah. that they write yeah. things in, yeah. Yeah, like stuff. whatever that is. I don't. Even, it looks like toothpaste, but somehow it's also delicious. It tastes like the red toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I, I just I haven't <laughs> thought about it in forever until you started talking about that sheet cake, and I was like, well, yeah, I like that, but oh, yo, if there was a birthday party and that DQ cake was there. That was it, I'll and eat, I might not finish the rest the of it. DQ cake. I'll Telling like a you. sliver. I, I thought you were going to say, because you brought up graduation. So both of my parents were educators. And so we went to a lot of high school graduations, which at the age where you're not old enough to stay at home by yourself and you have to tag along, <laughs> yeah. you eat a lot of like those little turkey and ham sandwiches <laughs> and all that. Little buns. But what was really good was um, like the graduation mints, the homemade graduation mints. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh. they make like in a mold that yep. are like the, they're like pure butter. Yes, they melt on your tongue. And you like put them on, and I swear, that was my gift. That's what I gave to myself for oh. going to all these back-to-back grab parties. That's I got to eat like- basement food too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I got to eat like 15 <laughs> of these at every single graduation party. Just walking so around, shuffling like them around. shuffling them around in your hand like there's sunflower seeds <laughs> and you're like an old baseball yes. coach. Just, yeah, the boys are hitting pretty good today. And I <laughs> never understood why my stomach hurt so much by the time we got home. Oh, yeah. okay. Subsisting just on butter and sugar with a <laughs> little things, mint oil. Those things came up like eight or nine episodes ago yep. and i hadn't thought about them forever but yep. also conclusively that's like church basement food yes the little ham sandwiches and then those those weird like and the cookie mints. bars and all of the all those bars <laughs> oh man that's so many watered bars. down coffee so bars. many bars to eat they're so good well, um, i think you should daily double all of us for that <laughs> 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 and, hey, oh i love it yeah cheers, cheers. I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's you. Is this the crying question, Charles? Is this, we, everyone should be ready. It takes a turn. You have no idea. <laughs> 
Okay, so when we're young, we're taught to obey authority. Oh, mm-hmm. he's hitting it. Wow. Ooh. We're spending a lot of time in childhood. I look forward to yeah. my trauma dreams later. <laughs> it's funny that, like, because we don't talk ahead of time. We each write three questions. Yeah. And it's weird when These we have episodes. These are actually flowing into each other. Yeah, we, like, line up. Very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's a, it's a strange thing. Yes. So when we're young, See. we're taught to obey authority. But as we grow in age and experience, we learn to be vocal when it counts. So my question to you is, can you think of the first time or a particularly important time in your life that you vocally disagreed with a teacher, manager, or someone else in an authority position? So journalism, not across the board, but a lot of magazines um, tend to have a lot of women on staff. And actually there tends to be, again, for most magazines, even some men's titles that there's a greater female readership and so our our team at artful living has a lot of young women on it and um i there are things that i realized when i was a young when i was new to the workforce that i wish that my boss or manager would have said something when let's say in, inappropriate or just doesn't even have to be inappropriate but just to make sure that everyone in the room knows like what what can you expect and not expect um in the workplace and I'm not trying to paint a picture that a lot of inappropriate things are said but when something comes up that's like probably I don't want you know again these these young women that it might be their first or second job in the workforce to think that that would be okay because again, we this is goes beyond just our team. Like we have such we have so many different constituents, and there's so many people out there in the world who think that, especially for young women, that it's appropriate to, you know, maybe behave a certain way or speak to them a certain way. And I'm like, sure. absolutely not, you know. And but yeah. they might not have the yeah. the courage to do that in the moment so it's not one moment but I found myself I I don't consider myself a particularly maternal person however since I've stepped into more of a leadership role in our company and then we have these you know again younger women I want them to know that they have a voice and they have a choice and if something feels gross, it means that it is gross and that they don't have to, you know, for the sake of, let's say, maintaining status or something, just put up with situations like that. Because I do think that a lot of women, you know, leading up to this point did have to do that. And there are still people, not just women, there are still people in workforces and professional settings who still have to put up with so much bullshit but there are times that I look back and I wish that I, I can think of times when I wish I didn't have the guts to do it because I was the youngest person in the room. I wish that someone else would have said no. And so I try to, whenever I can, say those things, even if it's just like we need to catch the way we're, we're saying this. Yeah. Um, right. Because I, I just think that's really fucking important that people don't get that message that the workplace or any setting, but particularly the workplace is someplace where you would have to be subjected to those things. And again, I'm making it sound like these things take place just in my company. Well, no, it's but not a, a, a dig at all on that. It's the sure. idea yeah, of yeah. in the world. Yeah, in our society, for sure. You know, like we're, we're of an age where we got to watch 
sexual harassment become a term that people understood. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when politically correct was first thrown around and people were mad about that because they were mad that they just couldn't say derogatory terms about people that look different from them in the workplace. And like, we're, we're just scratching the surface mm -hmm. of how we can make it a more positive environment for people. So, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely huge. And I think what's really cool, and I hate to say this as a millennial, but Gen Z is doing some really fascinating shit. Mm -hmm. Like their boundaries are rock solid. And mm -hmm. to a point where you're sort of like, well, I was not entitled with that type of, but they are, they're asking for and demanding things that probably everyone should have had access to. Yeah. And we didn't. And so that's why I think there's some resentment around like, well, how dare you come in and ask for that? But some of the ways that they're pushing our society are just incredible to see because it's, it seems like it's happening really quickly right now that it's like, no, there is, it's no longer, you know, that it's like an old boys club or this or that. It's like they're, the the places where that type of environment is still acceptable is now behind closed doors and not out in front of everyone to see. And, and I think that people should be thinking about the language they use and who's hearing them say it and what that might do to those to those individuals, yeah. no matter what setting you're in. People also act like now you have to walk on eggshells. No, not really. Oh. It's just now you're being held to a higher standard than you would have been in a prior generation. Because you see a lot of rhetoric from, you know, incel 4chan channels about how mm -hmm. you can't say anything to anyone anymore. And I'm like, why have I never had a problem with that? Yeah. And it's because I, I never had to have someone slap me on the <clears throat> wrist. But that's, that's, that part alone is troubling, but it's people kind of putting themselves out into the light, letting you know who they are. Have you, have you it seen should not be that difficult. Well, I, and that's, I think, one of the things that I, again, tell whether it's, you know, the women that I work with or elsewhere. It's like when someone shows you who they are, believe Fuck them. yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and that might be, unfortunately, that, that might be someone that you don't want to interact with again in the future. Right. There's a... Um, between contingents of uh, high school folks that I still sort of like have in my world on Twitter and, and Facebook and even people in, in my extended family, there's a meme that's been cruising around a bunch in the last couple of weeks that's always some version of this. And I've seen it before, but it's been getting really, really hot lately in, okay. in my social media shit. It's, it's, I'm, I'm probably going to fuck this up, but it's something like, Hard times create good men, good men create easy times, easy times create weak men, weak uh, men create hard times. We are in the easy men creating weak times or whatever, weak men creating easy times. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, that is literally, I mean, they're already saying this is only from a male's perspective, but then on top of it, that- it Turns out women are actually like, the ones who can create. Well, yes, yes, for sure that. Then on top of it, that only works if if you feel like you your people did a bunch of work and now everything is easy. Because if you talk to anybody else in any other demographic, none of this shit is fucking easy right now. Indigenous people, African-American people, LGBTQ, trans folks, like who the fuck has it easy right now? Oh, you're just, you're just pointing at yourself because you 
and your generation created a world that basically gave you the keys to the safe and you looted it. And now you're trying to figure out like why people are mad. Like it's, it's wild seeing how, how insular people can see. It's like they put up walls so they don't have to look at anything around them and pretend like, oh, there somebody else might have a different experience. Yeah, Kate was talking about this earlier about how, you know, and she didn't say it specifically in these terms, but that people would rather like hush everyone than admit to you yeah. something that could hurt their sensibilities, right? Like instead of admitting to something um, or even defending it for a long time, people just kind of quieted everybody around them. Mm-hmm. Let's just not talk about that. Mm-hmm. And now because people are talking about it, there are some people who find that upsetting. Yeah. And and because now I listen to podcasts, um, there was one, it's Glennon Doyle mm. has an amazing podcast with her partner, Abby Wambach, and her sister. And they had on this expert who was, it was related to family, but it was, um, it was a woman who is Indian. And so she was speaking from her own experience. And she was talking about how, you know, every generation is dealing with the previous generation's traumas. And so it's really easy to now say, wow, look at how, you know, look at how far we've come. Well, th- these, every step built upon the one that the previous generation sure. enabled us to take. Um, but it's just that it, it's, it's crazy if you were to, I think, tally up in a general day how many and I'm going to use the term, how many microaggressions Mm -hmm. that women or marginalized groups have to deal with that, I mean, at some point you stop even paying attention to them because there's so many of them, that those have an impact on on people and that really we shouldn't be causing people to walk around with that. Yeah. Well, and and if if the trade-off is I don't get to flippantly say something that I just randomly thought and you... Or you get to live a better version of your life. Like, I don't understand why that trade-off is so hard for folks. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't hurt It doesn't hurt you to be more respectful to someone else. Correct. Right? right. It's not, this isn't like a zero-sums game. If anything, it's just a moment to learn a little bit more mm-hmm. about what somebody else is going through. And I, I, I just don't understand. Like, it, it's, it's hard as a human being to not have, like, a me-centric view just because, like, everything that I see is through my eyes like every human being sees things that way but all you have to do is sprinkle in the smallest modicum of empathy and then all of a sudden everything changes and you can hear somebody else's story you can see somebody you can hear somebody else's life and you can internalize a little bit of that and say oh shit like i have to think about that i got we i've talked about this trip a few times on this show but um going back to what you were talking about with the pieces that you've been writing, Kate, um, I got really emotional. <clears throat> it's, it's happening across all of Scandinavia, but Scandinavia has had a lot of uh, racism that it's still wrestling with mm-hmm. right now because it's an incredibly homogenous culture. And the Sami people are the indigenous people of the Northern area, especially closer to the Arctic circle that still to this day follow with a lot of the, the reindeer herds, not as much as they did a hundred years ago, but, uh, that's still a huge culture. And we, I got to bring my mom and my wife got to bring her mom to Norway. And we went to this beautiful museum called the Volkestad or the Volkest museum. And they used to have this huge display of Sami stuff and over half of it, they had the story of what used to be there. 
but then they said we've given this back to the Sami people so that they can have they can have all this stuff in their own museum. Mm-hmm. And to know, like, we ended up talking to somebody who basically said that across Sweden and Finland, like, that's that's where things have been headed. And the fact that there were still people that were, like, leaving shitty reviews because they didn't want to have to drive somewhere else to see the stuff. Right. Like, it couldn't possibly occur to them that giving back, like, cultural artifacts over the last 800 years to a culture was the right thing to do. They were just mad because you'd have to drive farther to get there. Like, again, that was when I made that connection. I'm like, oh, yeah, because the amount of people that still can't rename a lake in the Twin Cities or still dead name a lake in the Twin Cities is fucking staggering because just a little bit of change, even if it would be, it would apply positivity across an entire society, like still, nope, nope, I like the thing that I like. And that, that weird put my heels in the ground shit, like that's the thing that we have to tackle and I just don't know how to do that. Well, and I think that that's what right now is standing in the way of of so many things. Mm. You know, there's going to be, in order for us to (laughs) try to prosper, Mm. even continue to, to exist as a species, we're going to have to compromise on these things. You know, we're going to have to stop seeing ourselves, which... You know, Ben, you'd mentioned that so many of us see the world as through our own eyes. That's a very Western, Mm -hmm. you know, perspective, that there are a lot of indigenous cultures that the idea is that it does not stem out from the individual, that it's more the community and the planet, and that you are part of that ecosystem. And I think when we we think that something starts and ends with us Mm -hmm. and what we see, you know, it's sort of like, if I'm not here to see it, does this even exist? Mm that that's what's creating so so much consternation. Sure. And we're all going to have to give up some little parts. You know, I joke that I'm so stubborn and I, like, refuse to put my supplements in the, the weekday <laughs> case. But we're going to have to, you know, give. Yep. And, and in ways that might feel really uncomfortable. And I think that they, we have great examples of people doing that. It's just that... It will take a lot more people to be willing to do that for there to be meaningful change. Yeah, we have a large quotient of society that's been indoctrinated to believe that small changes are uh, the first step to wresting control away from them Mm -hmm. in every facet of their life, which is not Mm -hmm. the truth whatsoever. Because I wish we could agree on things that are seemingly innocuous and... There are bigger problems in society, obviously, that we should be addressing. But even small things like renaming a lake, there mm-hmm. are people who think that that's just the first step to taking away everything that they love. Just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's that's the thing. And and I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about, like, the, the selfish point of view, I, I, I meant that as, like, we grow up as children where everything kind of revolves around us. And oh, it's, totally. It's up to I mean, us. it's very common, well, yeah. right? Everyone in this room is probably, you know, seeing the world in that way, and everyone listening to this podcast as well. So it's but, not something that, you know, again, it. I think we just have to th- try to flip the script on that. Well, that's yeah. the thing is, like, we have the we have the ability to continue to grow and learn and, and be a part of, of the community around us or 
we can put up those fake little walls. <laughs> we can mm-hmm. pretend that somehow, even though my shit's right here and your shit is right there three feet away, that somehow this is different because I put up a little border around it. It's not. Like, that. Yeah. The, the faster that we can figure that out, I, I don't know, man. It, it, is a, it is a societal commentary to say what you're saying, and it's akin to a thing I've been saying for many years is life is particular to your experience. Mm-hmm. And that refers not only to, like, me being a teenager and, like, enduring abuse and stuff and having a friend say, like, that's exactly like me not being able to watch TV on Tuesday nights. That's You know what I mean? That's, like, <laughs> right. one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is that um, people thinking that, COVID was not problematic until they lost a family member and they were like, Hey, everybody like we, that happens throughout our living world through humanity, um, throughout generations that people like life is particularly experienced. It's not just a commentary on ourselves. It's a commentary on the, the world around us and mm-hmm. society. I don't want to answer this question now. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I think Ben, that means you that me then answer? you have to. No, like, <laughs> my two examples were, it was, it was, Two. yeah, because I'm going to fucking daily double this shit because, because daily double, daily double, because I learned to, I learned two very separate things and these are two very formative moments in my life. And I don't, I couldn't, I don't know which one means more, but, uh, I technically, if you listen to my family was a Lutheran, I think I had already kind of started not believing in religion, but I got moved from a private school to a Catholic school. It was a very small Catholic school. And uh, I didn't understand anything that was going on. Uh, everyone else in my class was Catholic. So when we had to take uh, Wednesday morning, we had to have like a student mass. And so everybody would get up and do like their uh, communion thing. And I would have to sit by myself in a booth. Uh, my parents were divorced. And I had a, at least one teacher every year bring that up in the entire class. And uh, in religion studies would constantly get called on like what do your people think okay whatever there was one so it was mostly nuns that were teachers there there was one nun that was extremely harsh on me specifically we just never got along and one of the rules in the school was no chewing gum and i had before school gone to kenny's market and i had gotten <laughs> some baseball cards and at recess, I had opened them because I wanted to see if I had a cool card. And Get I had a stick of gum. took that little, that little stick of chalk that, that was wad. ostensibly gum that would eventually turn into something you could chew on. Uh-huh. And, oh, I was a rebel. You know, I was in sixth grade. I was, like, pushing boundaries. And Sister Mary Thomas was also out walking the playground. And she was just chewing on this fucking wad of gum. Open mouth. Sorry for all the listeners out there, but that was literally what she was doing. And I had that stick of gum. I hadn't put it in my mouth yet. And my whole group of friends, we all saw her just chawing away on that. I was like, you know what? Whatever, man. What are they going to do? Threw it in my mouth. So I show up in class, and one of our non-nuns was teaching social studies. And he's like, Mr. Kwam, is that gum in your mouth? And I was like, yes, sir, it is. He's like, well, you know there's no gum in school? And I said, well, I saw Sister Mary Thomas chewing gum at recess, and I'm sorry, but I thought it was okay if I did it. If the nuns are doing it, why can't I? And he's like, oh, absolutely not. And he walked out of class and went to her office and told her that I had accused her of chewing gum on school. She comes in, and this is the first time that I've ever heard this phrase, but I've heard it so many times, almost exclusively from people I don't like. But she walked into class 
and yelled, Mr. Kwa, when we practice to deceive, wait, when we practice to deceive, oh, oh, what wicked webs we, we weave when we practice to deceive. Okay. And I was like, what the, f- what, what, what even is that? And she's just pointing at me. And she goes, you said I was chewing gum and I do not chew gum on campus. And I said, I'm, we watched you chewing gum. And the room got really quiet. And one by one, a bunch of my friends all started raising their hands and say, no, actually, I saw you chewing gum too. I saw you chewing gum too. I saw you chewing gum too. And she walked Hold out on, of the room mean. and slammed the door harder than I've ever seen a human being slam a door and did not talk to me for the rest of the year. And that was the moment that I learned that if you call some shit out, there's a chance that you might be on your own, mm-hmm. but there's also a chance that other people might back you because you were the one that, that pushed it down. I literally, I remember what it felt like in my skin yeah. when she was pointing her bony ass finger at me and yelling, saying that shit about spider webs. Flash forward. That story turned around. I wasn't sure. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat <laughs> trying to figure out, like, did you get, you know, a... Did you get a ruler to the knuckles or this or that? But I'm happy how, how that yeah. ended up. You didn't it get was, the tension? You didn't get the tension? I still, no, I still had to, I had to clean all the chalkboards in the entire okay. uh, floor. Okay. Uh, clap all the erasers but and still, do all that shit. In that but moment? Yep. No, that, no, no corporal you, punishment. And I learned there were a couple of people that actually surprised me that were the ones that raised their hands. And... And that's a life lesson right there, right? That if you have the courage to stand up for what you know is right, turns out there it will help others do that as well. Mm -hmm. That is a formative lesson for me that changed the way that I saw how I interacted with the humans around me. And I haven't always been great at it, but I feel like I've been pretty vocal when it comes to some shit. And it always goes back to that was the first time that I ever raised my voice back to a teacher or anybody that was in authority. And I definitely did a lot more after that. (laughs) So the other story, flash forward, again, this is lessons that still stick with me. Um, The political science chair of, like I was a political science major in college, the chair of the department, and I, I, I took his class. We did not like each other from day one. We didn't see things the same way. We, we didn't hear things the same way. And, I got to a point where I was like, I don't even fucking care about this class. Like, I'm going to go enough to pass, and then I'm going to be done. Because I don't like my interactions with him. I don't like the way that, again, that he sees things. And I showed up late to his class, which really was like his number one thing. And he... And you, did you do that on purpose to piss him off? No, I just didn't care. I literally cared that little okay. that I was like, whatever, I'll be there. And I just caught him on a bad day. And he lost his fucking mind. He screamed at me, swore like every possible profane word up and down, threw me out, said, you're done with this class. If you can convince somebody in the office to transfer you, great. Otherwise, I'm failing you. And that was something that had never happened to me before. Uh, Slammed, again, pulled the door shut. Like, get the fuck out of here. I hope I never see you again. Like, I mean, I'm still in your department, dude. Like, you're eventually going to have to deal with me. Uh, I did not know. I, I just did whatever I could to stay away from him for the rest of the time. My advisor was still to this day a friend of mine. We've talked about him on the show. Dr. Scott Johnson is an incredible human being. I love him very much. 
I found out the the best gift that Scott Johnson ever gave me was he told me when Jim retired that at his retirement he was telling stories and on stage he told the story that the biggest regret in his career at St. John's was going that hard at me. Good. And I thought, okay, that's cool to hear that from Scott. I mean, good like, and not good, yeah, no, but. but like whatever. So flash forward another two years, I'm running a nightclub. And a woman is running for office, and she asked if she could do her announcement that she was running at our club. Absolutely. I like what you stand for. I like where your views are. Please, let's do it. The guy running her campaign was Jim. And he had to walk into my nightclub and thank me. Did you interact with him? Absolutely, I did. And he was, he's, it was nice because uh, he's much older than me, but he's my height. And we had a very close, because it was very loud in there, we had a very close conversation. And while shaking my hand, he said, it's just really cool to get to interact with you again. I'm sorry I did what I did. And I said right back to him, I was already in a moment where I was done with your class anyway. So I apologize that I was that Mm -hmm. flippant about it. And we got to then work together to help garner some financial support and some votes for this woman. Mm. And it was a great lesson, again, that as somebody who can be hot-blooded at times and who has yelled at the wrong person more than a few times because I was mad about something else, it was a reminder of how good an apology can feel, even if it's down the road. It was great to know that he said something, but it felt a lot better to look him in the eye and hear him say that he was sorry Mm -hmm. about that. And the fact that that was 16 years later, and he still thought about it enough that he thought yeah. he should come say something. That was an important thing to me. And it reminded me how important it is to tell people when you were wrong, even if it's way down the road. Because maybe they don't care. But you know what? That does, it doesn't hurt me at all. If they're like, I didn't even think about that anymore. Cool. If they do, it again didn't cost me anything. Mm-hmm. But it could mean the world to somebody else. Well, and if you tend to be a fiery person, you're usually like the flame has not even gone out yet. And you're like, oh, I know I fucked up. Yep. And so what I've found is really useful in those situations is in right away, turn around and claim your shit yep. and don't wait and don't, you know, again, this goes against everything I just said about how stubborn I am. But I used to be really stubborn about this that I was like, well, I just really threw a fit about this thing and I can't go back on it now. And it's like, no, that was, that was my shit. That was not, that was not on them. Um, and I used to particularly like, you know, if you think about, let's say you're trying to cancel a service and you have to call to do it. And by the time that you get there, you're so pissed. Right. And I used to just really take it out on these customer service Mm. reps on the other end of the line. And I felt in the moment, it felt so good. Cause I was like, like, but it's that I don't like company. Why? Tell the president. And, and then I would hang (laughs) up. And then I would just feel like shit, you know, because like these people are just trying to make a living yeah. and they're trying to feed their families and they have to do this, this job that's pretty much at the very least thankless. Mm-hmm. And usually they have assholes like who Getting I just was who are going to yell at them. Yeah. And so I try really hard, like in those moments that I'll even say like, so I just want to tell you that I'm getting frustrated because of this, that to mm. actually like yep. explain I'm, sure. I'm frustrated because now I'm already here instead of just being like losing my shit on them and asking for a manager and maybe like negatively impacting their 
professional growth totally. or income or who knows what. Um, okay. But yeah, like if, if you run hot, you got to own your shit. Have to. And again, I just keep learning over and over. Uh, we talked about the rebooking flights in Denmark thing. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Our parents' generation, their way of getting what they wanted is by humiliating someone into making it right so that they would yeah. stop yelling. But it's nice to see that our generation is sort of learning that if you tell someone like, hey, I need your help. You're right. the person who can help me. Can you please help me to get where I, I need to go? Instances like when yep. you had to rebook your flight and you said, hey, you're doing a great job despite all the chaos around you. Or like I recently had a, an awful steak at a restaurant and it came out twice and I told the waiter, the first thing I told him is, I want you to know this is not your fault. But the steak, I, I don't want any more steak. You can take the steak back. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Because he was like beside himself. Like, no, <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it's you. okay. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I think it was m more common in yeah. prior generations to like look the waiter in the eye and make it feel, right. make him feel like it was his fault. That You'll never work here the again. Steak wasn't right. very yeah. good, right? Just we're, a little yeah. sprinkle of empathy goes so far yeah. in saying like, let's work together. And again, I, I have to remind myself, it's not easy. I have to rem remind myself of that all the time. Sometimes but you're just mad. It doesn't yeah. mean you're mad at that. Right. individual you're just mad <laughs> we've right. talked about that too yeah. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes i just need to be mad i'm like this isn't about you i just i'm mad and let me be mad this is not ideal but that's enough of me uh charles where are you at on that this is not ideal yes this is not ideal key situation uh, uh the, the, <laughs> just a side note the couple that i stayed with when i was in atlanta for the show yeah. uh their language between each other is I don't prefer when you say things like that. And I oh, love okay. it. Oh, I love it. Because <laughs> she's like, the minute I say that, he knows how mad I am. But it's okay. keeping me from saying something oh. actually vicious. I'm, I'm okay. two steps away. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can go from here. This is a choose your own adventure. Yes. Okay. You know what comes after this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like tamping down the espresso. Yes, exactly. I don't prefer that. Mm, I don't prefer that. So for me, it's going to be high school art. I had a teacher and we were doing like an educational session as opposed to doing like tactile art stuff. And she stated declaratively to the classroom, the graffiti is an art because it's illegal. Uh, and uh, I, took, I took umbrage with that. I was not terribly vocal in class. I would rather get my work done and then, you know, go smoke a joint in the parking lot or drink a beer in my friend's car. <laughs> but I was like, mm, no, not, not today. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I, I spent a good chunk of that class having a philosophical conversation with my high school art teacher about why you can't set legal precedents over what qualifies as being art. And, of course, I don't remember the conversation. I was, like, 16 years old. But I do specifically remember asking her if she thought that cave paintings were illegal Ooh. and not artwork because yeah. they were painted somewhere that maybe they it was not permissible to They didn't paint. own it. Um, so, you know, it was, it, it got pretty, it got pretty thick and she kind of, she held her ground, but she also was like, she was, she was definitely hearing me. Sure. Um, and I think that a lot of the people around me, I mean, one of the people sitting beside me at our, our big table was to this day, one of my best friends, Tom Leonard, and he did graffiti at the time. I was never a graffiti artist, but Tommy did graffiti and probably several other people in that class. And I know that he was like. Yes, kind of nodding along like, yeah, mm -hmm. like that my guy. art form. I'm in this class and, you know, even when he applies his artwork to a sheet of 11 by 17 paper, a lot of times he's doing graffiti style art mm -hmm. because that's his chosen art form. And I just remember that being like really satisfying to say, well, 
hang on a second. Let's have some discourse. Bup, bup, bup. And I wasn't like rude about it. I think that's important. That, that I think that's important to point out too, is there were times <laughs> when I was a child that I just like yelled at a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. actually like taking umbrage with something that somebody said and having a conversation about it. It's a little different. I mean, I've told you about rage quitting my job at the Capitol when I told the Lieutenant governor to go fuck himself. Didn't really get anything done. We didn't, we didn't, there was no common ground to be had there. Uh, but that's what 22 and hubris gets you and, yeah. and age and, and, a little patina. You were there so much earlier than me, Charles, and I think that's beautiful. Twenty-two in Hubris. I'm picturing like a DVD cover with you with like your chin on your. Yeah, is that one? T- yeah. Is that one of T Swift's eras? Yeah. Twenty-two yeah. in Hubris. Did T Swift have a chin strap and mohawk era? Because if so, that's absolutely when it happened. With the uh, check thing through your hand. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, that was. Oh my god. It's like a Ben Stiller movie. <laughs> oh, that's so wild. That was that was in the same year. Every time I see someone in put the a receipt on that. Because actually, bro. when I was at Ticonderoga Club, the, it was right in front of me. And mm-hmm. every time someone made an order, they went in front of me and went, and I could only think of you oh. slamming your hand on that spike. All the way. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the grossest injuries I've ever had. I put a ticket Did you stabber. do that on purpose? Or nope. Did you do that? Okay. Nope. I, was, I, would, I was just thinking, because based on what we were talking about, I thought maybe you did it like mm-hmm. in front of the lieutenant governor. Nope, I did that one. Like, to, to show, yes. Yes, yes. To show <laughs> how upset you were. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was, that was was me oh getting God. too excited at work, and somebody had moved it from oh one gosh. side to the other because I'm used to it being on the far you side. Uh, a little bit. You can actually see it a little bit. The weirdest part is, damage, um, yeah, I have some nerve damage. So if I play guitar for more than about 20 minutes, I get this unitchable itch in the middle of my left mm. hand. And the only thing that makes it feel better is like banging it on things, which yeah. isn't, it's not conducive to like people being happy that you're playing guitar when you're like walking around hitting <laughs> your hand on stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we just like, I, if I play guitar at this point, it's for a song or two and then. I gotta be, I gotta be done. And I'm sure if I did like a like, every day, yeah, yeah, I still have like the, the hand strengthener in my car that I do because the doctor told me that would make it feel better. I, I don't think I do it enough for that to work, but because it didn't work right away. Then Is that the like, next authority figure you yelled at? Could be. You know what? It didn't work. He retired so, though. I don't go want to go yell at a retired guy. Right? Right, cheers. Like this, huh? this jerk. Let's cheers. <laughs> Why don't we cheers? Let's do it. Cheers. Mm. All right, so final. Oh, go ahead. I want to remark how hilarious it was looking over at Kate, who has a liquor bottle with water in it because of her current <laughs> lack of glass right here. <laughs> I just, out of the corner of my eye, I saw her lifting a 750 I'm bottle out of it. up to her lips. And we're drinking gin, and I was like taking a sip of gin. And I looked over and I was like, whoa, okay. Well, and also the, 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 the NA bubbles are in a beer bottle. Mm-hmm. So the water is in the liquor bottle and the NA is in the beer bottle. I, that's that's kind of beautiful. That, clear liquid liquor bottle. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just taking it to the dome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one seven fifty per podcast is oh. what we asked for, I guess. <laughs> uh, all right. So for the final final question, uh, I love the fact that you are into myriad forms of art. And one of the things that I really loved when I met Charles for the first time is that same thing. Like he's so interested in different things. And I was just kind of like having this moment while I was on a plane watching the the screen on the row in front of me and thinking like, Oh, that's a really beautiful movie. But I was listening to music and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to turn it off. So what I wanted to ask is what form of art elicits the, like the deepest response from you. And is it the same 
as like your like favorite art? Well, this is really multi-layered. So right now there's this incredible show at the Guthrie called For the People, mm-hmm. which um, was co-written by yeah, Larissa Fasthorse, who is the first Native American woman to produce a play on Broadway. And in case you're wondering, wow, that must wow. have been so cool when that happened in like 2003. It happened this year. Fuck. So that was the first time that that happened. And is it the same show? No, it's okay. a different show. Okay. Um, this show, what's really cool is that it takes place right here in Minneapolis. Mm. It's actually on East Franklin. Fuck yeah. And they consulted, she and Ty Defoe, who co-wrote it, the Guthrie commissioned it, and they specifically wanted it to, they asked that it was a story about the indigenous community here, for the indigenous community here. And they worked with elders and locals to shape this. So it's... Similar to like reservation dogs, there's humor, there's heartbreak, it's all woven together. And I recently interviewed her, and she said something that sort of doesn't change my opinion on this, but adds nuance to it. Because she said that theater, and I would argue that also um, like a live concert can do this, Mm -hmm. but she said that theater is one of the only mediums that we experience communally. Even if you're in a theater, um, meaning like a movie theater, mm-hmm. and you're watching a film on a big screen, you're not interacting with the people right. around you. Whereas if you are in a theater watching a production, you are surrounded by friends, by strangers, and you're all having the same response. You're all gasping at the same time. You're all laughing at the same time. Maybe, you know, like you're starting, it will provoke a conversation afterward. And that... TV doesn't do that. Film doesn't do that. And she talked about how, especially after lockdown and when we have been so separated from one another, that it's really incredible to be in the same space as other people and experience those things together. Mm. So there's that, which then one might think, well, your answer is is live theater. I would say that it is film. And, and now I think, too, you know, TV used to be something that I think we, we used to maybe mildly entertain us. You know, this was a decade ago, and we still have the, the hate watching and all of that. Mm-hmm. But there are TV shows now that are being produced in such a way that they rival how, you know, films, yeah. you know, one, at one point in the past, only films, like, sort of reached that caliber. Or HBO. Yeah. Right? For, like, a long time, yeah. it was... HBO and theatrical film, and that's now, do you remember, like, I don't know the date that that changed, but do you remember suddenly being like, holy shit, there's a lot of TV that yeah. is really, like, And it's good, yeah. you know, and it's cinematically, it's yeah. shot really well. The it, It's, and it almost, ma- almost makes you wonder, like, did it get the budgets, the same right. treatment, sure. you know, instead of a, like a sitcom way? So for me, I'd say that it's, it's film. Um, and not to say that TV can't do it, but there is similarly, when I was a kid, um, I read a lot of books, I read a lot of magazines, and those things obviously you can soak into. Mm-hmm. But I loved when, when I would watch film, I actually would, like when the main characters, because they always ended up in some sort of situation they weren't supposed to be in, I would have a stomach ache. Mm. I would have mm-hmm. a visceral yep. reaction to what was mm. happening. Yeah. And I'd get w- sort of like worked up and hope that they would, you know, get better and figure it out. 
Um, or I saw, I saw this funny clip on Instagram that was like, what's your most formative memory? And it was like every kid from the nineties that it's homeward, um, homeward bound when the golden retriever (laughs) comes over (laughs) the the hill, right? Like this is your most formative childhood memory. So I I just love that again, it's something that I, I do think brings us together. Um, and there's something to be said too about, I know people like, Watching a movie on a plane is probably only marginally better than watching it on your phone. Yeah. That said, something happens on planes. And I'll tell you what, I have just bawled. Like Marcel the Shell. Oh my God. And I decided to watch that on a plane. Just cried through the whole. I'm getting sniped sniped by Kate right now. This is, yes, 100%. So so there's also (laughs) something to be said. Oh, yes. And or um, everything everywhere all at once. Yo. Like I watched on. I think they were <laughs> two for two right now. I watched on the way somewhere. I watched one on the way back. I watched mm. the other, and I was just bawling by the end. And you're like, everything's fine. Don't worry. It's just this movie. Um, so I think there's something to be said too about that. So film. Yes. Maybe on a plane. Maybe not. Yeah. I. Oh my god. I. I've. I've never been double sniped on a single question. That's amazing. Charles, what about you? That's the double barrel shotgun. Yes. Do I get a double dong? What What's this thing here? <laughs> uh, toasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we hit her with some toasty. She hit me with the uppercut. You got, you got, you got toasted. Uh, so I'm looking at, I'm going to look at this. I'm kind of uh, contextualizing this yeah. in, in the way that I prefer to contextualize it because we always say you can answer any given topic on any given day in a very different way. I adore so many forms of art and so many of them make, can make like pull emotions out of me. Like fine art can make me emotional music, obviously. And it's, you know, at your behest and on demand at all times, video games, you know, the kind of thing that people don't think about that Mm -hmm. or like various forms of like, you know, pro wrestling is performance art. And those are, those people are my heroes. And like, I'm, I'm emotional when I watch pro wrestling. Um, but and and television obviously has gotten to be like a much stronger art form than it was when we were younger. But for me, similarly, it would have to be film. And I think there there are a multitude of reasons why. Some of the strongest reasons why are the greatest performers and thespians of any given time are sort of given the responsibility of carrying out the narrative of a script or a book. Mm-hmm. Books qualify too. Yep. The other thing I think is that I'm enraptured by film today, similarly to when I was a child, because I still appreciate playing a film at home or anywhere or going to film and like playing it beginning to end without pausing. Mm-hmm. I actually get like a little, I get a little like tantrum-y in my home or when I'm hanging out with like friends, if we have to pause the film. Because yeah. I'm like, we're turning the lights off. You have all the snacks you need, right? Bladder's empty. Let's watch this slap on that adult diaper if you need it we're getting through this movie because then you're locked in right and you see the whole narrative and you feel everything that they expected for you to feel in between 90 minutes and you know three and a half hours you get to experience that and one fell swoop you can't do that with a book or a movie or sorry tv show when you're pacing yourself even a video game if the narrative 60 hours you're kind of who knows what mood you're in or if you're just like jumping in for a few minutes which kind (laughs) of harkens back to what we were talking about TV shows, it's not, it's no longer appointment viewing. Mm-hmm. 
So that's mm-hmm. kind of changed. Production values improved, but you can watch 10 minutes of a Netflix show and it remembers it's a bookmark. Right. You can just leave and come back. But if you watch a really good movie, a really fucking good movie, Oppenheimer, when you're sitting in the theater and you're absolutely locked in on what's happening and like the sound is booming in your ears and it's a constant barrage of dialogue and sound effects, you can't help but to feel everything. Mm -hmm. You feel everything when you're watching that. Now, the other end, whether it aligns with my favorite form of art, is very difficult to choose. But, of course, anybody who listens to this knows that my favorite form of art is food and beverage. And when I get the emotion that I can derive from, like, a historic meal, like, next level, whether it's a three Michelin star or just, like, a great street food cart, when I feel the feeling that I sometimes feel from that, that you cannot anticipate, it just happens to you, Mm -hmm. that to me is stronger than the emotion I feel from any other form of art. There's just something about it that's like so deeply condensed that... But maybe harder to achieve. Angels are singing, you know? You like want to cry. That's throwing your plate, throwing your fork down on the plate (laughs) after that that fork full of blue cheese, you know? Back in bliss. Yeah. I am... Charles, I didn't tell you this. Uh, because we were in the middle of so much other shit, but are we when, about to break up? <laughs> no, I think I th- I think I'm ready to go to the next level. Oh, we're getting closer. <laughs> so, um, Kate, when we we got done with our, we had a ten and a half hour day of filming in New York, and when we got done, um, we jumped into it. Like literally, the last thing we shot was Charles, Dessa, and I jumping into a cab and heading up to the Upper East Side to go have dinner at a spot that she had picked. And because of some difficulties with uh, a possible gas leak at our third stop and a few random production changes, we were running late for a reservation at like a 10-seat omakase sushi restaurant. And I was throwing Hail Marys just to make really sure like, we could still get in You're and so they were still going to let us be there because they're like basically like, you've already paid us, so if you don't show up, like money's ours and we might just lock the door. Very strict cancellation policy. Yeah, it was so, pretty clear that. Yeah, I, I, I you had to implore them. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I aced it to the point where the woman that I had spoken with, like, literally, just wanted to come meet me because she thought the story that we had told her was hilarious, which was all true. Mm-hmm. Just we switched the order of how things went around a little bit. The doorknob. So we sat down, and I believe Dessa, Tenoshi, by the way. Yeah, Tenoshi. Tenoshi, incredible on the Upper East Side. Incredible East Side. sushi. Yeah. Um, oh, spoiler. So you did make it. We did. did we it. were allowed to go in. <laughs> we did talk about it a little bit in the last episode. So. Dessa <laughs> needed to use the restroom. And because this place was so small, you literally had to actually go into the venue next the door yeah. and go into the basement <laughs> to use the restroom. And so as we were sitting there, um, the the sort of host, I guess, the guy that was like clearing plates, I was like, oh, and just so you know, I, I, I feel like maybe you guys didn't notice this. Uh, it's like a bring your own bottle. Like we don't we don't serve beverages. So if you want something, uh, there is a liquor store two blocks down. So I I ran out and I literally like sprinted down there and I walked in and of course, like because of that they have a beautiful sake selection in this like small bodega corner liquor store, more sake that, than you would find in most liquor stores in the entire Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah because love. they know that they're gonna. They be know. Going yeah. To yeah. So I yeah. bought a, a beautiful bottle of Jumaida Ginjo. And I rang it up, and I walk out. And as I walked out, I looked up, and you could see the moonlight. And I'm holding this bottle of, of chilled Chumai Daginjo. 
And I'm like, what the, f- what the fuck are we doing? Like, we just filmed for like 10 and a half hours and then got in a cab and drove here to have the sushi prepared by the cutest man I've ever seen in a 10-seat restaurant. And they were like, oh, yeah, just run down the street and grab yourself some sake so we can hang out. And I just like took a moment. It's like totally humble master of his craft. Like, yeah. I, I, just, asked, him, I, I asked him how long he's been making sushi and he was basically like, forever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't done anything different. Yeah. Yeah. I, like the whole thing. Anyway, yeah, it was just like, that was a moment of like, this is why we chase the art because that was absolutely worth it. I will never forget that experience. And him, like, he had this adorable, like, old map. And then he had a laser pointer and he was showing us every spot that all the fish wow. came the from. Fish and then he was showing us each fish. Yeah, it was, it was adorable. Them at the market. But, and you know, Charles, going back to your authority defying moment, you know, of, mm-hmm. of someone trying to define what art is. So we talked through like some of the standard mediums, but I thought what we, you were going to say was like that moment when you walked out of that bodega and you were holding this like chilled sake and like in the moonlight and that like, that in itself, like that moment, was art, right? I, was, I, I think we're I like. I thought he was going to be abstract, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I think we're we're again, and and they're they're beautiful. I love these storytelling forms because I consider myself a storyteller. But as it turns out, we're also living a fucking story, Absolutely. right? And so I think if we can like notice those moments that are not something that you know, like Scorsese crafted or you know it's something that just happened and it might Mm -hmm. be that you are the only one to see it Mm -hmm. and it only happened in this split second and it's gone it's almost like deja vu but in real life like that's pretty fucking beautiful too the the yardner boop man that will live with me forever like that that story that that that's a part of me and i will i've told that story a dozen times um i you know i think it's anybody that's listened to a few episodes or all of them uh obviously music is my my favorite and bless your heart if you've dealt with yeah good god times. you're the best <laughs> uh music Seriously. music is woven into my dna yeah. and it's it's what i have with me uh again i don't even know where this quote came from but if physical art is how you decorate space music is how you can decorate time mm-hmm. and that's that sits with me forever because i can still be a part of everything else around me, but have music on Mm -hmm. and I can take it with me everywhere I go. Uh, But there is something, Kate, you hit it. You literally hit in the last year, two of the three things that have fucked me up on a plane. And I'll tell you what (laughs) I have, I have music that, that has made me weep before, but not sitting on a plane and not something I'd already seen. Mm -hmm. But I hear the Eagles differently now. Thanks to Marcel, the shell with shoes on that, that movie fucked me up. It's so good. And like, to the point so where like, good. like I almost felt like I was having trouble breathing because I was like, so worried yeah. about this shell that wears shoes. Yeah. You know, well, it was like, I was talking about, you know, like as a kid. And yeah. so I, I've experienced a fair amount of loss. And so I didn't really know what the film was about. And I was like, this has got, this will be a time filler. Right. When you're sort of like, well, I watched the film I actually wanted to watch. Now I have a little bit more time. If I don't finish this, it's fine. Get into it and like, Done. 
whoa, wow. Talk about all of a sudden I'm like, my abandonment issues are like in my throat. And I'm like, I, I is Marcel. Marcel <laughs> is me. I, I, by the time I was 24, I had lost all four of my grandparents. And, uh, also I have been through a divorce and all of the shit when Marcel starts kicking it back to the director or the yeah. camera guy, like that also fucked me up because there were so many things where I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I, re I remember that. I oh. have, yeah. I admittedly have not seen it. It sounds like something maybe. I it is. See. It's okay. so good. It is one of the most beautiful ruminations on what life is. And I didn't, I, I watched all of the old shorts. Like, yeah. I think Jenny Slate is a genius and her former partner who directed the whole thing and also I think is the guy in it, the voice in it. Um, I, I think they're both wonderful people for the art that they made for that. But, oh my God. And then everything, everywhere, all at once. I, I didn't know anybody that had seen it. I was just really excited that it was on the plane. Completely just fucking full on waterfalls. Yeah. Uh, and then literally just a few days ago, coming home from Atlanta, None of the new releases were anything that I wanted to watch. It was all like yeah, big popcorn it's shit. Little, it's been it's been a little dry. It's been a little dry. The past four six months. So I went yeah. to the, like the all movies, and I'm just like, I just want something that I can like watch for a little bit and and kind of zone out. And then I found a movie that I had already watched twice. Uh, it's called Sing Street. It's about yeah, seen it. it's about a kid growing up in Ireland Army in the eighties. I saw that in the theater. It's a great movie. That movie fucked me up, and I knew everything that was happening. Like I thought it was a beautiful story. What it did was it it reminded if you could me briefly describe what it's about so that people yeah so listening can it's it's understand. a kid who's, who's also I think we should also have a disclaimer that says. When Ben says that the movie fucked him up, it meant that he really liked it. Yeah, in, the, in it, a really good way. It deeply, yeah, sorry. It deeply sorry, affected sorry, sorry. him. It did, yeah, yeah. In a positive and profound this, way. Okay, this is that tech speak thing, you know, we just expect people to understand. <laughs> yeah, they, they know. <laughs> no, so it's it's about a 15-year-old kid growing up in, in Ireland in the early 80s. And he, uh, because his parents are going through some shit, he gets sent to, it no, it's in color, but he gets sent to um, a religious school as opposed to the public school he was going to. And uh, he doesn't have any friends. The authorities at said school can't stand him. And he meets this 16-year-old girl that he has a giant yeah. crush on, and he lies to her and says that he's in a band. Yeah. And right. then basically <laughs> has to try and find friends to, like, start a band. What was this 2016? Yeah, tw yeah, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. I and was thinking of Belfast, the black and white. Yeah, that was, mm. which is also Similar an theme incredibly beautiful movie. Yeah. A lot harder to watch because there's a lot more oh. shit going on. Um, but they, they form a band, and... They wrote original music for it. Glenn Hansard, if you guys have ever seen uh, like Swell Season, mm -hmm. um, Glenn Hansard co-wrote all of the music that this band plays. But it's just a, a beautiful time capsule of a time in everyone's life when you're going through puberty and every crush is like the most... Like it's the most gravity that you've ever felt yeah. in your life. The only love you'll ever have. Yeah, the only yeah, like true, good. true love you'll ever have. And like every lie you could possibly tell, like could be true because like there's nothing going on. You, the world hasn't gotten to you yet. You can still live in like a dream world. And for whatever reason, I just thought it encapsulated a young kid who's in love with music and is trying to just 
the only girl that he's ever loved. He's just trying to get her to love. The songs are adorable. It's funny. But the end is also like a really kind of beautiful, ambiguous end to it. And again, the same thing. And I'm like, I even knew this was coming. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you listen to, like there are plenty of albums and songs that can make oh, me Oh, there's songs that I'll listen to. Talk about the meals that you eat when you're having a bad day. There's songs that I'm like, I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to the saddest song I know. Facts. And sing along and I'll just cry with every lyric. And at home, shit I would. Music. I'll listen to sad or angry music when I'm happy. I just l- want to feel yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. when I'm at my happiest and I have endorphins pumping, I just want to feel stuff. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be so happy. Oh yes, I just yes, yes, feel yes, yes, shit. Yes. I mean, that was honestly that was the the show that I went to on Friday. Like it was cathartic because there's happy songs and there's sad songs, but everybody was just in it together and we were all there. But it was I got to I felt like more of a witness. I think sometimes with films because you can see it at a theater and you can see it with people, that's fun. But also you can have it for you. And yeah. I think sometimes on a plane, I can convince myself that it's like just me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I started crying during everything everywhere all at once, I forgot that there were people around me because I was not, I was, my wife was in first class and I'm sitting back in gen pop. And I was like, oh my God, there's like a random middle-aged woman Real sitting next to, me next to me who is just watching like a rerun of like King of Queens. And she just keeps looking over at the thing and then looking at me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, we're good. I just kind of forgot that you, you weren't here. Everything's fine. I think there's something, though, about um, watching a film on a plane that feels very safe because it's like you're only going to be on this plane for so long. Mm-hmm. It's small. Yeah. You know, like the screen is only so big. And then when it sort of sneak attacks you and you're like, I don't know if this is because is there less oxygen up here? What is happening? <laughs> But my eyes are just leaking it's nonstop. Leaking. Trying to regulate the moisture in my body. That's got to be also it. one of the only places where you can't just like leave. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't just, yeah. even at a movie theater, you can be like, you know what? I'm going to get in my car. I don't fucking. Well, or like if you're streaming, I, uh, if you're streaming it, you can be like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Make a sandwich. Or yep. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. you're on a plane, you're like zeroed in with your tinny ass earphones and this shitty little screen. And the volume always has to be like one click too high Mm -hmm. because you'd rather have it be too high than too low so you can hear. So then Marcel's squeaky little voice is like ringing through your ears. Like you can feel it in your bones. When when Quay looks back and says, in another life, I would have loved to do taxes and laundry with you. Get the fuck out of here. Oh my God. Like just done, 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 done. But yeah, so fuck, I don't know. That's, I hope everybody gets to cry to something, whatever it is. Like, I'm always jealous when you were talking about uh, fine art. I, I don't, I wish paintings, sculptures, I, I, I think they're pretty. You know, I've been wanting to talk to you about that outside of the program because I'm curious if, like, contextualizing it, like, the time that the person mm-hmm. created it and what life they were living, and not all of them were suffering or, or you know, struggling or creating art because they wanted to portray something that people needed to know. But those are probably the pieces of art that are most moving to me is when there's like a story mm-hmm. behind it. Well, and, and I'll, I, I actually would back that up that that's at least semi true because I've done the, um, the Van Gogh fully immersive um, where they use 3d projectors to do uh, Van Gogh's art on all the walls and the floor. Um, and that, that made me emotional. But then when we were in Boston, um, 
right off of Boston University's campus, they had a Frida Kahlo mm. version of that. And instead yeah, like of the Frida Kahlo house in in CDMX, like yeah. when you see the equipment she had to use because of her ailments and yeah. stuff, walk through her bedroom, you see like the easels that they built for her so that she could access them. Like that's all applicable to the same. Yeah. Narrative. So, and, and if if the Frida Kahlo uh, art exhibit goes on tour, I implore everybody listening to go see it. So they do the same thing that they did with a Van Gogh, and I think they're doing a, a Monet one too, where it's it's three D projectors, it's everywhere, it's it's on all the walls, it's going under the floors. Mm-hmm. But with um, with Frida's exhibit, they actually ran through her life story as well, and they they took a couple seconds where um, they either had a narrator or there was a, a few chunks of her actual audio um, talking about what had happened and like, yeah. you know, getting run over by the wagon and the it's accidents. A great, the it's back. a great example that her life is as interesting as her art. Absolutely. Which is, I don't mean to denigrate her, but she was like, her life was really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and like sad and there's like so much about her life that is worth knowing. Yeah. So having that context, Van Gogh is another great example because he never sold a piece of art nope. to a stranger. The, the, the whole thing, it was, it was both of them. I, that, that made me emotional because I felt like I kind of get into it. And I think maybe that's a little bit of my problem is I just have a tough time seeing I, a thing. I also think though that fine art for so long, unfortunately, has not been very accessible yeah, to many, many people. And that's been purposeful. You know, for that sure. it's been in museums that you have to pay to get it into. It's been in affluent people's homes. Um, and so there it's actually been kept away from a lot of people. And so I think in that way, it's easier for like more people to, you know, understand or to gravitate toward film or TV. Um, I was in New York in August and I uh, met up with a friend who's out there who has spent a lot of time working at um, different museums there. And so she was like, do you want me to give you a private tour? She no longer does this, but she's like, do you want me to give you a private tour? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Let's go. And, and I have an appreciation for art. My, my mom was an educator and an artist. Um, but I still, there's that idea that it's sort of at arm's length. And so this was a really interesting experience because we went in and saw art that that I could admire on the face of it to be like, this was painted in this year and I'm looking at it now. So there's that. But she was able to, you know, we looked at 10 or 12 pieces. Um, For every single one, she was able to explain to me, you know, like, first she asked me, so like, What's, what's your take on this? And it felt very comfortable, which I also think that art is not very, fine art can be very intimidating and not approachable because you're like, well, I'm going to get it wrong, you know? And so yeah, I, sure. I sort of gave my take on it and she was like, exactly. And here's, and she added more context to it. So I, I understood, you know, like this is the stage that, you know, Rembrandt was in when he painted this or, or so, I think that there is, for fine art, still this idea of having it be, it, it needs to be made much more approachable for more people to be able to gravitate toward it in that way, that we do more, like, 
mass media. I think we also need access to more artists that didn't have an opportunity to Facts. display their work. Yes. So I think that that's yes, really important please. as well. I also dare say that almost any form of art where as human beings reticent to describe our feelings that are elicited by that form of art. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like judging beverages or food or things like that, I always tell people. And also I always, if I'm doing, if I'm for instance, tasting like beer or wine or something with people who are perhaps not acclimated to a judging environment, I never say what I'm tasting first mm -hmm. because I don't want to color everybody else's perception. I want, because you find a lot of people who instantly are like, ooh, Band-Aids, pine trees, like, let everyone come to their conclusions. Yep. Then we'll have a discussion. But when it comes to tasting, the most important thing you can tell somebody who is uncomfortable with what they're perhaps going to perceive, because it's usually, usually happens ever before the act itself, mm -hmm. is there are no wrong answers. And it's your mouth, which is like the most obvious three words you could ever apply to that. But Eric Eastman says that on our podcast when he comes on all the time. But it's your mouth. There is no wrong mm -hmm. answer. If you tell me you taste strawberries, I cannot climb into your mouth and tell you you're a fucking liar. This is not possible. Mm -hmm. So emboldening people to have the confidence to say what they really feel often results in air quotes, more accurate answers because they don't overthink what yeah. they're seeing, yep. feeling, tasting, smelling. We allow people to just feel what they're feeling. And I think that perhaps that was, you were maybe assisted by that? Because yeah. well, they were like, hey, just- I also think though that fine art is sort of convoluted by the, this idea of art history. So, sure. so we have, whether we, you know, the artists themselves told us this or we have evidence that supports it, we have mm. mapped. It is people's jobs to map meaning onto these. Sure. No, it's no one's jobs to say, what does this butternut squash mean? Right. So, so that itself, that there's an entire world, there's this realm that's, you know, its own little ecosystem that it, I think, can feel, because we all, we all eat, right? Yep. We all sure. see art around us, whether it's like that sake in the moonlight. Mm -hmm. But this idea of it can be intimidating because well, are you going to agree with what all the historians have said that this is supposed to mean? So, so that's where I think, yes. again, there's a little bit of that discrepancy between how, how a lot of people think of fine art versus how we think of other, other mediums, even like food. Yeah, I, I, quite like the, I quite like the ability we have to perceive a form of art and to create our own interpretation, even if it's been displayed to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in some cases, yeah, like the artist will explain and then someone can say, well, actually, I don't think it changes the interpretation. But in the instance, in the instance of something like Quam's uh, coming with me to see Tool tomorrow, it's one of my three favorite bands of all time, if not my favorite band of all time. And also, lyrics, for our listeners, in my top 10 favorite bands of all time, but that's fine. Oh, never knew that. Yeah. The lyrics that Maynard James Keenan writes are 100% open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And people have always guessed at whether there's some sort of overarching narrative that will eventually have a beginning and an end. And he just kind of shrugs. He just goes... Figure it out. And I love that. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. One more. I'm going to just have one more yeah, mini, yeah. mini rant on fine of art. Course. Because another thing that the idea that you talked about, you know, so many artists whose work we didn't see. I also, the, the idea of the valuation of art and art becoming currency, the fact that someone at some point, so like who decided that this impressionist 
was better than that one. And so that one died a yeah. pauper. And this one maybe also died a pauper, but dang, his family made a fuck ton of money off of his work. So this idea that there's this thing that has no value to it other than that it's maybe a canvas that's framed. And now we through time have said it's now worth millions yeah. is is mind blowing to me. And again, when you look at the discrepancy between like there are people who have access to these things and some people have many of them and, yes. and it could, it could feed entire nations, yeah. you know? And, and that is true too for like, let's say a film budget, but, but this idea that there's this object that we somehow mapped all of this value onto that now sits in a building that people have to pay to see to map their own value onto it. Like something to me, I, I can't, I have a hard time. And I, and I value, um, not, not the way we just said value, I appreciate for fine sure. art for sure and the artists who create it. But it's a very strange world. It's, it is unexplainably odd. The Mona Lisa, the thing they tell you at the Louvre, if you do <laughs> get, get the it here, is at the end of the Mona Lisa thing, and yeah. I saw it from a distance, I wasn't going to get in the stanchions, and I was like, there she is. It, the last thing that they say to you is, we have no idea why it is the most famous painting here. Also, yeah. turn around like, because- We have no idea. There's a 15-foot- The gigantic- Gigantic, beautiful painting, right. and yeah. nobody ever takes a picture of that. By yeah. Or really, just the architecture itself. Yeah, well, that's what, that's that's what I was going to say. Yeah. We've talked like, about this. I, the as, building. as the two of you were talking, it was two things that kept coming back into my brain, and I think that's probably my hurdle that I have to get over, is while I think the buildings are beautiful, almost every single fine art gallery or museum- I don't feel like I'm supposed to be the one that's there. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like these are my people. I don't feel like this is where, I, like, someone that looks like me should be wandering around. And then on top of it, like, and there might have been a lot of money that went into making a movie or a theatrical production or an album or a book advance for an author. But at the end of the day, that piece of art goes for the same price pretty much forever. Like, if an album becomes a hit album, you don't have to pay a million dollars to get it anymore. Like, it's still the same price. If a movie becomes sure. a massive hit, you still pay the same ticket price. Well, where people can trade those paintings f and have for the last 700 years, and it just continues to be rich people buying it and then gatekeeping it. And I, I think that's a thing that has always bothered me, that I just it sort of all gets lumped into the same thing. And then I just feel like I'm a voyeur. I don't feel like I'm a part yeah. of art when I'm seeing that. If I'm in a theater, even if the theater is beautiful and these actors are world-class, I don't feel like I'm an imposter when I'm sitting in the theater. I feel like human beings are trying to tell me something. Mm -hmm. And in an art museum or a gallery, I, I do kind of feel that way. I feel like... Sure. Well, and they're not always welcoming. And I think it's notable that you, as a straight white male feel unwelcome in those spaces or feel like you're not supposed to be there because mm -hmm. if you feel that way, how exactly. does, and, and actually the majority of, of people who run museums across this country are straight white. Yeah, men. absolutely. And so, you know, I just, there's, again, I have lots of swirling thoughts on this and now I'm talking about beyond just even like fine art, just, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's museums that have, 
historic artifacts, things like that. But that this yeah. idea stealing, that I mean, stealing art is a whole other yeah. <laughs> this this idea that there are these things that it's like, come look, don't touch. Um, this is more valuable than your life will ever be. Yeah. That's hard to reconcile. Yeah, absolutely. The, the only other thing that just occurred to me that I want to remark is that music is perhaps the most democratized form of music because it's something that you can make for yourself and yep. you don't need a loaf of bread. You can sing mm-hmm. yourself a song or play it in your head mm-hmm. or hum it to yourself. Like if you're on a desert island and like we had a, say we had a magnetic shift and like all technology is gone, you can still sing the friend song. Absolutely. Which yeah. I was singing in my head earlier when <laughs> we were talking about Chandler Bing. But that's kind of interesting to think about that that's a form of art that you can access at any time without permission, without licensing fees. Whereas every other form of art, you have to, there's some form of access, some sort of monetary access. And on a scientific uh, level, um, your brain treats that the same way. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I've talked about it on the show before, the book that I love probably the most, that I've gifted the most for sure, is This Is Your Brain on Music. Uh, by Dr. Dan Levitan. And uh, if you are thinking of a song in your head, the brain pattern of you listening to that song or you thinking that song is the exact same. So aside from your eardrums not moving, your brain is absolutely, it's hearing it the same way it would if you had headphones on. And that is the only form of art that does that. You can think of a scene in a movie, but it's a different part of yeah. your brain that's kind of recalling that. Well, and you can access it without a vehicle, right? Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. need it to be played yeah. in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. You don't need yeah. a physical book. You know, like that's something that can just sort of exist. It's crazy. And yeah, you're going to reproduce it note for note. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. reproduce a film scene. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're going to miss so many details. You yeah. Can, you can think about it. You're like, that's cool. But you can't like close your eyes and like. And Think hear it. You can't actually hear it, right? Blade Runner and cry. When you, you talk know, like, about, there's this idea of like an earworm. So we don't have that equivalent for something that we like nope. visually see, where you're like, God, I just can't get this out of my eyes. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. know? I can't get it. That's, yeah, that's definitely something I've never said before. That's wild. I've never thought about that, but that's true. It's so true. Even after New York, huh? All right. Yeah, like, like you, don't, you don't think about a book and you can only see the first half of the sentence and then yeah. it just stops. Like, that's just not. Sure. It's not the same. Well, crazy. All right. Well, we solved art. So that's. Yeah. Hey. So great. <laughs> solved. Um, stamped. Kate, you're amazing. Uh, I want to know, like, how, what's the best way for people to follow what you're doing? Is, is it through the website or social medias or. Yeah. So through my website and then also on socials, I admit I'm sort of terrible on social media. I joke that I need a social media manager because it takes me like. 45 minutes to, to put up a single post. Yeah. I'm getting better at it, but um, both of those are great spots. So on Instagram, I'm k.a.nelson. And then like Charles mentioned earlier on my website, um, I, I have all of my collection, my portfolio of work. That's kateanelson.com. Those are both great spots. And, you know, Maybe maybe the next time I'm on the podcast, that'll be a way to catch up too. Let's go. Um, is there any other like we talked a lot about reservation dogs? Uh, is there any other like art mm-hmm. that you would want to suggest for people that are interested in hearing more indigenous stories? You know, I think right now um, there's a lot of talk about the film Killers of the Flower Moon, 
And if people are curious, I would encourage them to go see it. It is really complicated yeah. and complex. Um, I would also encourage, so, you know, there are a few of these that are sort of these blockbusters, but turns out there are countless indigenous makers out there that they are making documentaries, they are making feature films, they just might not be at the box office. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, go out and, and find those. And they're readily available. What's pretty cool is that, um, particularly like Reservation Dogs, Sterling Hardro brought in a lot of Native creators who have other projects too. So it's like, if you liked that, go find their other work. Because it's yeah. not just, you know, what, what people are, are seeing at the theater or... Um, or on their streaming services on that front screen, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. There's a hell of a lot more out there. And the people who actually really need those watches and likes and, and support are the the indigenous creators across across this nation and across yeah. Turtle Island. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. Uh, and obviously, this is the first of multiple episodes. <laughs> uh, Charles, I think I think we may have finished out our traveling crazy runs. I, I think I'm, with the exception of possibly one more for the two of us, we're home for a little while. We got a, we got a home stand coming up. That's the plan. So, this is 99, man. We we, content, we yeah, got something up the sleeve for 100. Right around the corner. <laughs> So uh, yeah, we have we have news about uh, where the next studio, quote unquote, will be. Uh, we have we have fun work stuff. We have fun film content to share very soon. Uh, we we just got a, a wonderful text that audio and video have been synced, and now we're we're kind of going into uh, story mode. So I'm really really excited that we're gonna have some fun stuff to share. And uh, Charles and I have both met with some. Uh, local artists here about filming some stuff here and catching up with some former guests, some of our favorite humans and uh, yeah, just poking around and can't wait to see what else is coming. Uh, anything else that you want to throw out there? I'm oh, just going to drink the rest of this delicious Roku gin. <laughs> well, cheers to everybody out there. We love you so much. And uh, if you're somewhere where it's getting a little bit chilly, just lean into it, man. Put on a sweater, put on a hoodie, and and love this beautiful fall weather. I've been smiling ear to ear since I got back from from Atlanta, yeah, man. I love this. Till till the snow hits, I'm I'm good for it. So, <laughs> until then, take care, y'all. We'll see you soon. <laughs>